This week on Geek Explained, in 2012, a superhero movie released worldwide and changed the landscape of film. Now, to celebrate its 10-year anniversary, I'm joined by returning guests AJ Kincaid and Chris Carter to take a retrospective look at Marvel's The Avengers. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Ozana, and today's episode is a celebration of 10 years for a film that I would say set the bar for superhero films going forward for the last 10 years. The Avengers released in May of 2012 and film, not just superhero films, but all film was never the same again. And so we are taking a look back on what made the film, the process that went into the production, as well as just talking about the film in general. And I am joined by my film club cohorts, AJ Kincaid and Chris Carter, to discuss this film. Because if I'm going to talk about superhero movies with anybody, I would rather it be the two of them. I have done series, two separate series with them featuring superhero movies. We did a series last year called Into the Snyderverse, where we went through the entirety of the DCEU leading up into the Snyder Cut, as well as, the, most recently, Spidey Sember, where we went through every single Spider-Man movie on the way to No Way Home. So if you'd like to get more of our thoughts, go ahead and check that out. Both of them are some of my favorite episodes that we've ever done for the podcast. They are wonderful. I've known them for a very long time. We're longtime friends. They're both good brothers, and I always love when they come on the show. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be the main portion of this episode, the three of us just chatting up, talking about the Avengers. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll talk to you about all the comics you should be picking up this week, and there are some real good ones, so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the Andre, if you will, as I, alongside AJ Kincaid and Chris Carter, celebrate the 10-year anniversary of The Avengers. Ten years ago, there was an idea to bring separate IPs together across several years into one incredible film that would set the world as well as the world of film on fire, for better or for worse. And now, ten years later, we are taking a look back at 
The Avengers, Marvel's crown jewel, the film that really kicked off the MCU as we know it. And this year, a little bit late, a couple months late, we are going to take a retrospective look back on this film, what went into making this film, and then just talking about the film in general, because some time has passed. The MCU's been around for a while. And so looking back at what it was, what's stayed the same, what has definitely changed is going to be a conversation that I'm very excited to have. And I'm joined in this conversation by two men who I would trust with my film life and have on several occasions. I am joined, of course, by AJ Kincaid. What's going on, folks? It's AJ Kincaid here on the best podcast ever, Geek Explained, <laughs> and happy as always to be back. <laughs> and Chris Carter. Dude, I can't follow that. I'm just going to say <laughs> hi. Hi. Well, good morning, guys. I'm, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. It is, it is a fine podcast, though. It is a fine podcast. I feel like every single time he comes on, like in this format, he comes up with a more ridiculous intro for himself. And I really hot, appreciate right? that about Bro, you. He comes out just swinging. Wait. Just wait. <laughs> it's a bombastic episode. It's going to be great. Shit's going shit's gonna to be said. So the wall. talking about superhero films, the only two people who I wanted to talk to about are the two people who I have exclusively talked superhero films with about on this podcast. Uh, AJ and Chris have both been in two separate series on this podcast, both the Into the Snyderverse series, where we checked out the entire DCEU in the run-up to the Snyder Cut, and boy, was that a fucking trip. And we also, this past December, did Spidey Sember, where we checked out all of the Spider-Man films in the lead-up to No Way Home. So it has been a ride, and while I do think that we should definitely take some time on kind of what went into this film, the production and everything. I also just kind of wanted to shoot the shit and geek out on this film and who better to bring on than the two of you. Uh, I, I, it's very interesting coming back to this film 10 years later with all that has uh, all that's happened and everything that has changed i feel like the mcu is a very different beast than it was 10 years yeah 10 years ago the, you know it's and, and and i think the biggest part about that too is it's where do you start right and i i, I just want to put this out there we talk about first of all eric could speak on this better than i could marvel as we know it now is owned by disney it's been owned by disney since the first movie they put out was the avengers so yep. Purchased in on December thirty first in 09 for a cool four B, um, you know, not that much money at all. But in the in grand scheme of things, I mean, right? I think they've made their their money back. Four billion dollars is still yeah. a lot of dollars, Chris. I yeah, mean, is in Disney dollars. I agree. I Disney agree. dollar. But Disney let's not forget dollars. that it is Disney dollars, right? We're, we're going to be making the conversion to Disney dollars next year. Just you yeah, wait. they're going to yeah, oh, going to be mouse ears on dollar bills pretty soon. Um, you know, you know, it's it's wild to think about, man. And I know we're gonna get back into it, and and it's just what's uh, it's hard to be first. And I want to start with there. I I have something I want to touch on because it's hard to be the first in anything when it comes to creative and do it well. In fact, I believe it's Warren Buffett, and I'm gonna misquote this, so I apologize to everybody who knows this quote. He says, "Never be the first in anything because." It's the second person that evolves on what they did and what someone did initially and then change it, makes it better, and then perfects it. But 
Disney in my in my mind in a Marvel, what they did with the Avengers was just something that has changed filmmaking forever. And whether, like you said, Eric, so eloquently, better or worse. And I say that because I mean everybody at this point wants a crossover. Everybody's tried. Think people that have nothing to do with superheroes. My, I'm going to draw to Universal's uh, Dark Universe. And Dark Universe like collapsed on itself. Does, does, anybody, yeah. does anybody remember the, the, the seminal Dark Universe? Dark universe? Yes. Yeah. How, how can we wait. possibly forget? How can Can't we possibply the ten year anniversary of the Dark Universe? <laughs> <laughs> That's my point, right? To do something the first time and to do it poorly is kind of modus operandi for a, almost everybody. But what Disney managed to do uh, is just something that it's, it's just going to it just shapes cinematic the future the future history of film which is a weird combination of words to put together in a tent the future history of something so you're always going to have this type of option and, and whether for better and the option i'm talking about is for some type of crossover or to bring in or to bleed in certain things um and i don't know my opinion i'm going to bring on but i want to talk about it later i don't know if that's such a good thing i know james gunn went on to say something about it um <laughs> last year in his tweet about you know guardians and how well we'll talk about that but for sure but anyway um i'm just i'm just excited to talk about how this changed things you know and i don't know where i was yeah. in, 20, in 2012 and i tell you what though, i'll tell you what guys i was convinced this is me that the world was going to end on december 21st 2012. <laughs> i was you, that guy a lot of people were my a my mom's were. side of the family threw a party are you serious like my my mama wow she uh she was convinced as well and even she always did things where it was like oh yeah the world's gonna end wink and <laughs> like so she was like let's throw a party so and this is when i was still living in tucson because uh, she lived in phoenix everybody from around the country on her mom's side of the family converged on her house Shut oh my God. and she was like we're gonna have a party so that if the world ends we're all together and if it doesn't end then we're all together yeah and i had to work that night so <laughs> i and i think i was still because it was 2012 so i think i was i don't fucking remember what job i was working but i remember getting out at like 9 p.m going home showering changing and then driving an hour and a half oh god to uh to my mama's house got there at like 11:45 like 15 <laughs> minutes before it struck midnight and i was like all right i'm here we're just going to watch the world implode <laughs> jeez what about you AJ? amazing did you ever have a that that vibe on 2012 no um <laughs> no <laughs> no it was it was it was just like he's no, like we got they, one more republican pregnant pre presidency to go through yeah. <laughs> yeah no exactly there there's too much shit that needs to get done there's too many investments in this you know biological spaceship that we've got on here there's there's no way that the systems that be are going to allow any catastrophe within that time frame to happen nah no 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 we got we got at least another decade and i was more more or less right um <laughs> you know I was kind of thinking the same thing of just like how being like you, you put it so eloquently, like uh, Chris being first is so difficult and, you know, kind of rewatching something that really is the trendsetter and really is mm -hmm. like the first one of just like, and this is where a bunch of things changed. This is where a bunch of parody happened. This is a bunch of satire happened. This is where a shift in culture happened and like kind of, 
kind of really being a part uh, and getting to see that that it's just like wow that's I, I can distinctly remember both being there the first time watching the movie and then how everything changed afterwards and Good just point. how fascinating of time and being in that time frame of just like oh this is a big shift in culture right here yeah yeah 100 it's it's kind of staggering the amount of stuff that changed after this like the way that we view film and the mm -hmm. way that we consume it in a way That's because the point, yeah. the, the film landscape today is so different than it was 10 years ago and mm -hmm. this movie has a large hand in that because it was for a very long time the flagship of the franchise i don't think until like maybe what was it maybe 2018 when Infinity War came out that everyone was like, oh, there's definitely a consensus movie that has a bigger impact than the Avengers. And that's a solid, like, you think about it when it comes to the MCU specifically, like how much it changed about like how we view these films because you can get away, and up to this point they did, you can get away with like, all right, here's an Iron Man movie and we never have to have him meet another superhero ever. And then the Avengers happened and it's like, we need to meet, we need them to meet each other every single film. We need to have at least a cameo of Dr. Bruce Banner coming in and be like, ah, hey, I'm Bruce. Like every single film until <laughs> like, until the sun burns out. Like you, we can't yeah. think about films nowadays especially MCU films without thinking about, Oh, who's going to cameo or who's, who are they yeah. going to team up with? Right, right. And that changed the game because up until this point, it's like you would never in a million years, look at the original Fox X-Men films and go, you know what this film needs? Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Like you would never at any point, but nowadays it's like, Oh, we're having a, to throw something off the top of my head we're having a new warriors film oh we gotta have spider-man or it's like oh we're having a guardians of the galaxy film we gotta get wolverine in there like it's just the way that we look at stuff now and that yeah. to think that that wasn't always the mindset because of how ingrained it is now is incredible yeah yeah that and, and i think that obviously a tribute to Kevin Feige, right? Cause you know, right. obviously he's kind of the mastermind behind that. And you have to have that guy, that mad scientist sitting in front of that yeah. giant board, like that meme from Charlie from <laughs> It's Always Sunny. Hey, Sylvia. Know. Yeah. It's like, how do I get this in there? And, and, and that type of passion, I think is what's sorely lacking in the DCEU, which is laughable, but we'll, when we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, you, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy that, that, we're in that world right now. And we were even joking about it beforehand, before we started rolling. There was legitimate conversations, and AJ brought it up, about that crossover between 21 Jump Street and Men in yeah. Black. Like yeah. That's where the <laughs> mindset of, of the culture, right. to, to piggyback off what, what, what AJ said, it is right now. So, you know, if I see the – dude, if I see a Maverick Toretto crossover, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. Like, I will Can you imagine the sheer – ego of having vin <laughs> diesel and tom cruise in the same movie it, i the, can't america would explode like that <laughs> that's too much of like movie culture right there like but i'm I, waiting for whatever the sequel is because you know it's coming to top gun maverick to be yeah. a, the trailer is legit 
There's going to be no like cast announcement. The trailer is going to be, you know, fucking Dom Maverick is just like fucking fly. I don't know his name is like flying through. <laughs> he lands his plane. Tom Cruise steps out. And he's like, hey, what'd you say your name was? The other plane next to him pops up and Dwayne the Rock Johnson steps out. He's just oh. like, you don't need to know my name. And then we just hit fucking Top Gun, The Rock, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Licensing. Dude, a like, WWE film. Like, can you imagine how much money? <laughs> <laughs> WWE film. <laughs> I'm waiting. Dude, can you uh, imagine, uh, first of all, how much money that would make? Because, like like Andrew said, Americana would show up in droves for that. <laughs> droves. Tenuously, like, but fucking- even as much money as that would make, that would still not cover their budget with how much they would have to pay Tom Cruise and Rock <laughs> Dwayne oh, Johnson. Like, man, it's true now, though. It's, <laughs> a, it's a, crazy. Yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. I, I'm, I cut you off by that. By no, no, no. It's just amazing. Just like. Yeah, the budget, and it's amazing that that hasn't happened yet. Tom Cruise yeah. and The Rock seem like they'd be a great pair with each other. Well, Everybody the cops, is two I mean, absolute it, psychopaths. It's crazy because you know we have that. Uh, um, was it, I think it's Red Notice on Netflix where they had a. Oh yeah, Ryan Reynolds, uh, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot, and yeah, and, and The Rock. Which, by the way, I love Rock's chemistry with his male co-actors. He has zero chemistry <laughs> with female. Like he is it's a so rock. true. Not the yeah. rock. He's a rock when dealing with his female co-stars. It's in, in so film. true. Like it's it's funny because like I really and I might be in the minority. Who knows? Uh, I really enjoy those new uh, Jumanji films. I really like them. Kevin Hart really and the like Rock. Them. Are something they're though. great they're but great any time that the rock is on screen with karen gillian like oh, yeah. there's nothing there it's cringy. there's yeah. nothing yeah. there yeah it's incredible yeah. but yeah, we, got, we got a little off topic yeah sorry guys. what so, oh, okay. we've never yeah, gotten off topic yeah. but, but to that point real quick but we talk about how we have to like find other threads for films and kind of branch them out a great topic was um uh hobbs and shaw Right. Because, yeah. you know, we're talking about kind of team ups and that's I would say maybe that doesn't exist. It's it's argumentative for sure. But maybe that doesn't exist if Avengers doesn't exist because people aren't in that mindset to like, how can we branch this out? How can we make a film out of this? So anyway, but just I wanted to put that out there. So, well, I think like yeah. it, it also kind of connects to like a love and desire sort of pop culturally for a connective universe. Like essentially like, what Marvel is doing is not really anything brand new like this is essentially like the serials from the 19 um God, like 1930s through 1950s probably yeah. it's just a continued story that happens for like maybe uh an hour and a half like old doctor who episodes are like almost two hours because you know like they were meant to entertain for a good long bit but continue to connect you know um like the man of bronze or the shadow mm. or you know, these sort of stories where we're always going to come back to them. But I think like kind of taking the, you know, blockbuster formula, like having Iron Man and Captain America and Thor kind of be like the gamble. And then the payoff is the Avengers. And then yeah. if that's if that's going to be like the big, massive hit and everyone's into it and, you know, the jock mindset of just like, shut up, nerd, doesn't, you know, overtake uh, the senses. But instead, like it, it, it paid off. And, you know, people came and showed up and fell in love, like, so hard. Yeah. But why God. do you think that they paid... Real quick, so let me just pick at that thread for a second. Because I just thought of something when you were when, when we're talking about that, is 
the shared universe is, you're right. People want to have a, con- a shared connectivity among characters they enjoy. Alien versus Predator for me. I hated it, but I really enjoy the Alien universe and the Predator universe. Right. Separately, they're wonderful. Together, they should work, but they don't. They f- it failed twice miserably, right? Why did people grab it? Why did people like it? Like, that's my question. Why did people like this Avengers film so much? Because they didn't have to. Because, at least my theory, is that it's not about conflict between the two characters. It's about characters coming together for a common issue and common conflict to uh, join together and then get over. Everybody loves a good team story. Everybody loves a, you know, mankind getting over their differences and uh, succeeding together. And Absolutely. That's why people love the Sandlot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love the Sandlot. I love the Sandlot. That movie is a perfect Sandlot. film. Absolutely, like, it, it's. But to your point, like the the idea of like bringing these people together, and I th- I also think it's a quality issue. Like, sure, the Avengers as leagues, and you can say whatever the fuck you want about cape shit, and it's like oh, those are not real films, Mister Scorsese. But like, <laughs> it is leagues better than either of those AVP films. Like, yeah. just on a filmmaking perspective. But I think it all it also is the buildup, right? Mm-hmm. It's also this we have a plan. You watch the post credit scene of Iron Man and fucking Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson steps on. He's like, I want to talk to you about the Avengers initiative. And if you're like me, I'm freaking out in the theater because I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the Avengers movie. We're getting a Captain America film and all of you will have to stick with me on this ride. <laughs> like I, I. I think that the idea that there was a plan, that there was buildup, that every single film was always like, okay, who are we going to bring in next? And as you mentioned, Chris, earlier, having Kevin Feige at the helm to be like, this is the plan. I am going to execute the plan. And not only that, I'm going to give you different flavors with each subsequent step of the plan. That it's like, how are these going to be, how are these going to people going to coincide? Like, you look at like an alien versus predator. It's like, okay, they are two aliens. They both like kill people, some for sports some for survival. Like this genre feels like it would make sense for them to cross over. But you take two films out of isolation, Iron Man and Thor. And you say, guess what? They're part of the same universe. And it's like, fuck off no they're not <laughs> like and i think that was the exciting thing for people who were not maybe necessarily in the know or getting their heads shoved in lockers like they didn't know that these films were all of a sudden like wait he knows that guy or she knows that girl like it was mind-blowing for people to have these separate films come together and be like this is an event and even though the MCU, I don't think, has felt like that probably since Endgame, it's like this at the time was an event. These films came out maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. And with the Avengers, it was like 2012 is the year of the Avengers. Nothing else is coming out. We're not bothering with anything else because we are going full steam ahead and this is all we've got. And if this fails, we fail. Which was, I think, the mindset of phase one and why people still kind of look back fondly on that phase because it's like we're giving everything to this this isn't just a assembly line filmmaking at this point we are pushing all of our chips in and if like we go bankrupt we go bankrupt 
Yeah, and you could make the argument that it's you're right. And now it was it's like it's like when you listen to music, right? And you mm-hmm. have bands are like I like their old stuff. It was more gritty, it was more real because now it's more formulaic, which I could I would argue that a lot of the MC films now are and even the series mm-hmm. too for that matter. It just sure. feels kind of, you know, rinse and repeat. Um but yeah, I I think that for me personally, I believe the introduction to the characters and the emotional gravitas that they create um, was really why that worked. I mean, honestly, the fact that we see Iron Man coming dealing with everyday shit and you make uh, let's also keep in mind, too, that at the same time we had we had Chris Nolan's Batman series out, too. Right. right? So that was right. kind of it wasn't running parallel, but it was it was in the same film space time wise as this. So there were obviously two very different films. One, you know, Iron Man was very colorful. It was very heroic. Um, you know, there's a lot behind it and there's a lot of human elements to it. So I think people wanted to, to, to gravitate towards that. And then as you have that hook, then you can introduce obviously. So I, I can say, I didn't really care about Thor. I thought to me, the fact that he was brought in, you know, in the, I only cared about him because of, of how he was introduced in Avengers. I'll say that. Um, the first Captain America film was okay. I'm sorry, Eric. Um, it was okay. It wasn't we'll fight great. later. I like and, and you know, and as and as AJ loves to say, it's Captain America is kind of uh, Captain Propaganda in a lot of ways too. Which, you know, that really kind of bleeds through in the first one. For I would say the first half of it. Again, I'm just saying for the first run of these characters that we see, and really his his association with Peggy, I think really kind of brought his character some gravitas. And I think that's why those two ended up being the two flagship characters of the entire series going through in, in uh, Endgame. But Kevin Feige, you take the time to build something out with individual standalone films, which have over hundred. I don't know what the budget is for Iron Man. I, I'm sure it was probably maybe around sixty or seventy. So you invest this time. And by the way, the AVP both the AVP Requiem budget was forty million. AVP the one done by Paul W S Anderson was seventy million. So they were they didn't get nearly the love that, and they probably shouldn't have. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> or money that they had uh, for set aside for the MCU. But I do think that people kind of gravitated towards one of these characters and you do hedge your bet. Um, you've got four main characters and if you can identify with one of those four main characters and that's your dude or your girl, that's who you go with. And so that just to me, you take the time to lay the foundation and that, and that pays off. And I will say with Iron Man coming out, I believe, what is it? 20, 2008. And then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, yeah. within four years, mm-hmm. you have Avengers. So, you know what I mean? The, the sizzle is still there from that. So, you know, people would still, an example that I would use is people would flock to go see a Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan, Batman. And the last one that came out ironically was in 2012. Yep. So, yeah. you know, if anyway, but yeah, it's, it's such an interesting argument, man. And, and, and. It's wild to think about how, what that's done to French. It's just, it's just crazy, man. It's wild. and it's fascinating too because like that year, twenty twelve, gives you such a window into how different the approaches were. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, at that point, it's like okay, we're building out a universe with the Avengers. We are going to make this be something that includes several different characters, several different ideologies. Where over DC, it's like it's Batman or bust. We are doing yeah. just this franchise, just this character. This is our cash cow. This is our money maker. And when you get into why that is, like the background of the film in itself, and I'm going to get into that right here. Um, 
it's kind of fascinating. And for listeners, I did a very similar episode to this on the first Avenger, the movie that uh, Chris just dragged through the mud for no reason. And it's, uh, (laughs) if you want to go back and listen to it, I gave a full in-depth on how that movie was made, um, what went into it, the critical uh, response to it and all that. It's episode uh, 169. Go check that out as part of uh, Captain America Month. But basically what happened with this film was the Avengers are, unless you're living under a rock, you know who the Avengers are. But for anyone who doesn't and needs just a real quick crash course, the Avengers, uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Marvel's premier team sometimes, (laughs) and they are comprised of basically they were created in the comics to say, hey, let's take all our B-list characters and put them onto one team so that they can sell a book. (laughs) And the original team comprised of Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, the Wasp, and Ant-Man, with Captain America joining the team in issue four and him leading the Avengers from therein. But the Avengers weren't really a priority for Marvel. Up until the time that uh, we were looking at the turn of the century, they were much more invested in solo outings or outings when it comes to film with the the properties that were making them money. So like we saw in 1988 and 2002, Blade and Blade 2, X-Men in 2000, X2 in 2003, Spider-Man in 2002 and Spider-Man 2 in 2004. All of those films, very different from each other, not interconnected in the least, but they were making the case that superhero films could be successful. And so in April of 2005, Avi Arad, everyone who's a Spider-Man fan, collectively grown, uh, who was the CEO of Marvel Films at the time, announced plans for an Avengers film. He was like, we are going to make an Avengers film with classic Avi Arad. No plan on how to do that. He just says, we are going to make this and then leaves the decisions up to other people. Uh, Marvel Enterprises announced this plan to partner up with Merrill Lynch and Paramount to produce superhero films. Again, I go way more in depth on that in episode 169. And during the writer's strike in 2007, Marvel negotiated with the Writers Guild of America during the strike while this is going on to make several films partnered up with Paramount. So Paramount was going to distribute them. And specifically, the three films that they were gung-ho about making were Captain America, The Avengers, and Ant-Man. They were like, these are going to be our premier Marvel superhero films. And they decided that, okay, we're going to release individual films leading into this team film. And that was how the idea for this film was born. And so... We now turn our gaze to The Avengers from 2012, uh, directed by, directed and written by Joss Whedon. Uh, it is, oh. again, arguably the most important superhero movie, if, if at least in that span of time, than to the MCU for everything that came after, how much it changed the game, uh, the layout, the format, the feel of what the MCU films are. And the production started you know, it didn't get off to a great start. Uh, They brought in Zach Penn, who did the screenplay for The Incredible Hulk, the Edward Norton movie. Uh, He started working on it in 2007. 
The very next year, Iron Man released to critical acclaim in 2008, and immediately it released in, uh, I believe, May or July of 2008. By December of 2008, Marvel announced The Avengers for a July 2011 release date. And pretty quickly, or I want to say... Let me see here. Uh, Two months before that, before announcing it, casting began for this film. Uh, They already knew that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be returning as Iron Man. Uh, They hit a little bit of a snag the next year in 2009, where their planned casting for Black Widow, Emily Blunt, had to pull out to be in another film. And (laughs) she was replaced by Scarlett Johansson. And she signed on for not just Iron Man 2, but also for the Avengers. However, it was, it's very interesting because later on when Whedon came onto the project, they didn't know if they were going to, scheduling wise, be able to have Scarlett Johansson in the film. So he always had a backup plan to actually have the Wasp in the film to be played by Zoe Deschanel, which would have been everything that I wanted in 2012, because that is exactly what I would have wanted. Um, In 2009, going into the development of Thor, both Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston were cast as well as for Thor for the Avengers film. Thor was originally going to be in a much smaller role in the film because Zach Penn was not confident that people were going to like this Thor film. So he was basically like, look, Loki is always going to be the villain of this film. He was the first villain that the Avengers faced in the comics. He is dead set. We like Tom Hiddleston. He's going to be our villain. This Chris Hemsworth guy is Thor. I don't know. We might have him come in for a little cameo and then run away. Uh, But also there was a backup plan for the Red Skull to pop back up again, just in case people hated that Thor film. And I, for one, am glad that people did not hate it. Because looking at the way that Thor films are now, I yearn for an older time. (laughs) Chris Evans was cast as Captain America in 2010. And also in 2010, both Jeremy Renner and Clark Gregg, who had already been in MCU films, were hired to return for the Avengers. And then we get to what I am calling the Ruffalo recast, which was kind of a big deal. At the time, because the idea of bringing all these people in, we were going to have Robert Downey Jr. on the same set as Chris Evans, on the same set as Chris Hemsworth. And can you imagine, also on the same set, Edward Norton from his Incredible Hulk film in 2008. Now, something happened along the way. They took a little bit of a left turn. And there are varying reports on what their what the issue was marvel has officially stated that it was not a monetary thing (laughs) which i'll believe when i see it uh but that they wanted and i'm reading a quote here they wanted someone who was happy being a team player which using that wordage is very intentional They're like, we want someone who is comfortable being a team player and working for the benefit of everybody. Edward Norton's team did not like that statement. And so they put out that Norton wasn't really interested in superhero films and that he was much more interested in diversifying his film portfolio. Who's telling the truth? 
Who knows? We don't truly know, and I'm sure the answer falls somewhere in between. But there's always been an underpinning of like, he wanted a lot of money, and they were not going to give him a lot of money. Well, Norton's always been kind of... uh kind of known as a dick like as he's got like uh, i forget what born he was in right i forget what born film he was in but um there were there were oh my god he wasn't a born film i forgot was it a born film he was um and then also he had that odd demand i'm sure do you you could speak on this about casting the kid that the character from the wire omar in hulk for like a what ended up being like a fucking five second cameo as you're destroying harlem Mm -hmm. um or whatever the fuck so yeah, like Edward Norton's kind of known as, as a dude who's very challenging to work with. I think the only story that I haven't heard come out from him would have been on Birdman, which he was, which Birdman, by the way, have you guys seen Birdman? Incredible. Oh yeah. It's Incredible. fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love that movie. That's the only film that I haven't heard as a negative story come out of, uh, because um, I guarantee I, you, Michael Keaton was like, we're shutting that shit down. Dude. Right, There's like, only I, going to be one diva on this film. Right. So that is going to be the Birdman. All right. Yeah. Or like, hey, channel your inner Edward Norton and let him come out on this film. Because that's <laughs> that could be part of it, too. Fair. Because I could totally yeah. see that character be Edward Norton in real life. So not to. Definitely. But yeah. Definitely. Um, and the final big casting was for Maria Hill in February 2011. Kobe Smulders joined the cast, uh, who at that point really was just known as Robin Chervatsky on How I Met Your Mother, uh, which is a great show, and no one can take that away from me. Shout out to um, Reefer. He loves in it. He two, it every day. In 2009, uh, Marvel was looking at their process and decided we're not going to make that July 2011 dates. We're going to push this back to May 4th of 2012. And I thought this was really cool. In March, 2010 pen Zach Penn handed his first completed draft of the script to writers, Joe Casada and Brian, Michael Bendis, who were running the show at Marvel at the time. And, Unfortunately, this didn't really lead to anything because in July 2010, Marvel hired Joss Whedon to direct the film as well as to, you know, just take a look at the script. Just take a look at it, Joss. What do you what do you think? Just give us give us what you think about this. We think it's pretty good. What do you think? Uh, Whedon threw away the entire pen draft and started from (laughs) scratch. He cited that the character dynamics were way off, that the film didn't feel coherent, and he said that he would rather start from zero than to work with a script that he fundamentally disagreed with. Which, I don't know, man. Kind of Maybe it should, maybe a collaboration thing is, you know two pie in the sky but i feel like it could have worked with something thankfully zach penn does show up in the credits as story by which is nice but yeah it was uh it was quite interesting um but once whedon had a brand new script and everything was pretty much set they started filming in 2010 uh they started filming in albuquerque new mexico pittsburgh pennsylvania cleveland ohio and finally in uh new york the first footage that was released was at SDCC 2010, which uh, for those of you who are going to enjoy San Diego Comic-Con this weekend, I hate you. And I, I think it's very interesting because we didn't really, for the layman's who didn't go to uh, <laughs> Comic-Con in 2010, 
we didn't see any of this footage. This was long before like leaks and YouTube drops for trailers yeah. were a thing. So the first time I remember seeing any footage from this film was as the post credits bumper for Captain America, the first Avenger, which is not even just a bumper for that movie. It's just next summer, the Avengers. And that was a real hype moment. I remember being super hyped seeing that footage. Um, Alongside the film, there was also a video game planned by THQ Australia, which would have been a, I know, which would have been a uh, first person, almost shooter-esque style video game. If you know anything about Avengers and video games, you have seen this footage or you've heard about this. But it's basically the Avengers versus the Skrull invasion. They had test footage that you can go on YouTube with footage from Iron Man, with uh, Thor, with Hulk, them just like hopping around this scroll spaceship it actually looked like it could have been real fun but no <laughs> we got marvel's the avengers i don't have time to talk about that game so we're gonna keep moving on and marvel didn't have time to talk about this game because once uh thq australia was closed thq said we are cutting our losses and not making this game <laughs> the film premiered had its world premiere at the El Capitan Theater here in LA on April 11th of 2012 and the very next month it was released worldwide on May 4th 2012. So that is the full background on this film. Gentlemen, usually we get to this question a lot sooner, but I want to ask you. I'm going to start with Chris because I'm very curious about this. Do you remember seeing this film the first time and what did you think? seeing this film the first time i don't actually i don't remember normally i'm normally i'm good at this because i could tell you where i went to see the same year uh dark knight rises i don't remember seeing what it's i'm dead i'm not even kidding i'm dead saw the foothills mall it was horrible but i don't remember where i saw avengers the girl i was dating at the time wasn't she didn't really enjoy films which is why we're not dating now name Um, her drag her (laughs) drag her her. (laughs) so i don't even know if i saw it um I'm sure I saw it in the theater, but I could not tell you who I saw it with. I remember being really, I got really excited taking it way back uh, to uh, Edward Norton's Incredible Hulk. When in the credits, you see a, a Stark missile in the opening credits. It yep. also come down and says yeah. Stark. I'm like, that's so cool. There it is. And, um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't remember, but I remember what I do remember about it. I remember that the theater was obviously packed. I also remember being really excited for, I think everybody gravitated towards towards Iron Man, maybe not you, Eric, but like everybody that didn't know shit about the Avengers kind of gravitated towards him because at this point he had, you know, he has, I think he, didn't he have have two films out? He did, right? Iron Man 2, yeah, yeah. Um, so we had the, well, the, the whole pepper pots thing too. And I, I just really was excited to see his storyline kind of continue. And so I remember being in the theater and I remember uh, laughing when Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man are in the forest and and, uh, and don't touch my things. You know what I mean? There is just this <laughs> banter between the three of them. And I think uh, Chris Evans was, was I don't know, he, he wasn't an A-lister at the time, but he was pretty, no. he was up there. I mean, he yeah. was, and, and Chris Hemsworth had done a couple of things, but I mean, nobody, if you, before Thor, probably nobody knew who he really, really was unless you were either related to him or had a crush on him, which <laughs> there are quite a few people out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so 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 the wittiness that uh, that RDJ kind of brought throughout that I really kind of enjoyed, and especially that part in the forest, and when Loki's in the in, in the Quinjet, and he says, 
And then Cap says, what, are you afraid of a little lightning? And then he says, no, I'm just concerned about what comes with it. And then he's yeah. talking about his brother. And, you know, I'll, I'm will i going to jump to my favorite line of the whole movie. And it's when uh, when Bruce shows up and he says, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. That was like my go-to line moment. Yeah. for like four years. Like, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was drinking. I was partying. I was playing a lot of beer pong. Like, I was working out. There was pre-workout in me probably 24-7 at some point. <laughs> there was never less than 200 milligrams of caffeine in me. So, like, I got that. And so I remember people just losing it and that transformation and whatnot. But I, but I feel that, like you just gave me a window into like what it was like to be like a handsome white straight guy in college in 2012 too. In 2012, in 2012 yeah. like this, let's take it back. It's come a long way since because I 100% did not have that experience. So <laughs> that is that is incredible. Um, but yeah. Interesting. I, I, I'm I'm very interested. Uh, AJ, do you remember watching this film for the first time? I do, and I also remember you were about five seats away from me when. Uh, oh shit! I was well. <laughs> Wait, did you guys? It's go together? true. It was good. Okay. So okay. it's it. I'll, I'll let you tell the story because it's it's pretty amazing. But we actually went with a group, and we all we cosplayed the Avengers yeah. for this premiere. The Dude, you should link pictures to this link pictures to this guys because they're out there put they them are on out there put them on they're out there. there oh lord but <laughs> uh, the internet has um i remember i remember that time fondly and especially getting to like share that moment with you and still be you know friends later looking back on it and like how things have obviously changed in life and with everybody who was there and yeah. you know i remember dressing up as Hawkeye as best I could with like no money. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it was fascinating. We got, we got the entire group, mm -hmm. all the Avengers were represented, which was really, really cool. Um, I, I have to say, Eric came so prepared for this event. <laughs> Eric didn't like, just like, you know, figure something out. Eric like concocted an entire costume and like just, like completely, completely annihilated all of us. The rest of us had like no hope because this, he this looks like Captain America. <laughs> he looked like him. This is at the very start of my prime cosplay years. But like, yeah, we got the entire group together. It was amazing. We had like a little thing where it's like we all got together. I don't remember whose house, but we got to we all got together at somebody's house and watched all the films leading up cool. to the release. And then we all drove over to the Foothills Mall and yeah. watched the film there. And people were taking pictures with us. We like we were all standing for because they had those that like big like standy with all the portraits of the Avengers. And we all stood in front of them and we're there are pictures and I will oh, I will yeah. share them on the social medias, but it was an incredible night. We even had, it was the best thing we had, uh, all the Avengers, like we're all sitting in our seat and we were just chatting. And then all of a sudden, for some reason we hear, Ooh, as the, like the entire theater around us. And we're all like, what the fuck? And we look over and some guy walked in in a Batman costume and we're all like this motherfucker. <laughs> and we chased him out of the theater. It was amazing. It was fun. He was a great sport about it. But uh, yeah, it was it was really, really cool. We had a wonderful time. It was hype as hell. Who all did just, you go with? Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember? So like the, it was you, the roll me, call? 
Uh, Brendan was Iron Man. We had a combination of our friend Juan as the Hulk and Jesse was Bruce That's Banner, right. which was hilarious because right. he was two heads taller than Juan, who was our Hulk. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, we had uh, oh, the man who will always have my heart, Ben Gardner as Thor, who legit looked like Thor. Like his costume was amazing and he mm-hmm. did it the night before. Oh, like, that's awesome. It was, it was incredible. He, he like, I think it can, he like did something with a leather jacket that really yeah. made it work. And it was just like, oh, it's so good. And, he, and Ben was like super tall too. Super just, like, tall, towered over everybody. Tall. And, and then, the, uh, the way that he draped the cape was so movie accurate too. It, it would mm-hmm. like drag behind him when he'd go up steps. It looked so cool. Um, we also <laughs> had obviously AJ as Hawkeye. And then we had um, our friend Bree as Black yeah. Widow. Mm-hmm. So we had the entire lineup and it was, it was very cool. That's badass. That's awesome yeah. guys. So we got to see that. It was amazing. Um, but diving into the film itself, I think it's for me, it's fascinating because rewatching it 10 years later, this film is a masterclass in establishing character. Like for all the terrible things that can be said and have been and will be said about Joss Whedon, one thing that his writing and his filmmaking does well is establishing an ensemble because what he does is for better or worse, boils them down to their character essentials. Like what you were talking about, Chris, with how like much, how much more uh, gravity and how much more depth uh, some of the characters have in their solo films you will not find it here in this film because everyone <laughs> is boiled down to their essentials to make them easier to bounce off of each other because they are so different. But I, I think that was something that really, and my partner Sam, because she was watching with us as well, she mentioned how good the transitions were for a lot of these because at one point, you know, Fury and everybody's talking is like, oh, we're not going to be able to, you know, we're 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 at war and a war needs soldiers and then it transitions to cap and then he has his intro scene and then at the end he's like oh anything we you should tell us about the tesseract and he like picks up the fucking the punching bag is always just amazing to watch him do that and he goes yeah i should have left it in the ocean transitions into the ocean where tony stark is like you know sealing off the seal for his power star the transitions in this film are immaculate it's very very cool it's really so that true. was something that stuck out to me immediately. Just something that like, you know, I wanted to make a point out on just like how like I, and like and like you said, there could be plenty of like awful things to be said about Joss Whedon. But like just really like looking at the work he did on this film is really impressive. And it's kind of I think I give credit to his work in television, especially and having yeah. to work in ensemble work. I was I was listening to an interview with um, the Russo brothers and they were uh, detailing their time on community and detailing their time on the Arrested Development uh, pilot, you know, two sitcoms that like I love to death and are basically rewatch shows and comfort shows for me. And I was just kind of amazed on just like how they can you know work a team so well. And Joss Whedon uh, kind of had a similar um, kind of come into with the Avengers, and especially having that. I mean, especially with Firefly or Buffy or. Um, whatever that that third awful um like disguise show i never oh dollhouse that's what it is who remembers dollhouse i'm sorry i insulted your show but no one cares no <laughs> one cared then no good, one cares but okay 
no one cares then no one cares now like <laughs> i'm sure it was i'm really sure it was but like i i, I don't care um but i think like that like just cohesiveness and understanding how to like bridge characters and like utilize a team um is, it shows just like how powerful it can be in, in uh in film well and not just uh, again about joss too and again i don't whatever just gonna have this argument all the time where well not argument but an, uh, a disagreement where you have to separate the art from the artist and that's kind of in the creative space like can you do that should you do that mm. anyway here's what i'm saying about this to completely agree with what, what what aj's saying is if you look at what he's done he did buffy which now coming back at that is kind of like yeah. but he did buffy and at the time it was wildly popular. I mean, it basically made Sarah Michelle Gellar's career. Then he did Angel. And then we did Firefly, which I've never seen. But wait, I wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. We broke. Sarah, we Mich breezed Sarah Michelle Gellar's career was made by Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo oh, yeah. Monsters How could I forget that? You Philistine. The, the unforgettable. I know what you did last summer, too. Of course. Those films. Scooby-Doo like, launched her into stardom. Don't yeah. let anyone tell you otherwise, listeners. Of course. Yeah. Also, you've never seen Firefly? I haven't. And I and I get that all the time. And Jessica's a dude, huge Firefly. You and then, would and love then it. You would proxy, love it. Dude, and by proxy Serenity. Like that's and, and my understanding is they're making they're rebooting one of those two or they're remaking something. That's I've heard that around the film there, There's been scuttlebutt about like a, a Firefly animated series for a really long time. Ooh. Oh, didn't but, know that. But then, it, it'd be easier to just bring back that whole cast to do like voice, voice work and try Absolutely. to get them back for I can this. imagine. From the 2000s, yeah, that's very different. But a film that we haven't talked about that he did, um, there's one of my personal favorite films is Cabin in the Woods. And if you have, have either of you seen Cabin in the Woods? Love, yeah, love great movie. film. Yeah, right. Love that movie. And, and kind of what he did, and that, by the way, came right before um, his foray with Marvel. So in the creative space, what he was doing um, with Cabin in the Woods, you can kind of see it loosely dripping into what he did with the Avengers. And I think that um, Cabin in the Woods was brilliant. And I didn't I didn't say that when I first saw it. But as I've gotten older, I've watched him like, I've seen so many horror movies now, this to be this different and this good. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So so anyway, to I guess I agree with both of what you're saying when it comes to, to Joss and his understanding of dealing with individual characters and then kind of funneling them into a bigger story, the sum of the parts for for you know, a term that most people would know. And, um, and this, this absolutely had that. I do like the part you're talking about too, Eric. Um, I love the end cut from Captain America, which kind of leads into this where he wakes up, he's in the hospital, he goes into times square and it's current day times square. I kind of feel like that rolls right into the Avengers, um, because of, of the part you're talking about, but you know, um, I don't know, man, the film for me, I, Joss, I think he does this great job. And there is a quote that I want to get to because I do want to talk about uh, Age of Ultron much later where it says, and Batman says, if you either you die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And I think you could stamp it on this dude's forehead because there's a whole lot of real estate in that <laughs> forehead. But also because I absolutely believe that to be true for this specific director and what he did and, and, and eventually his air quote downfall. While I do agree with that, I also have to spotlight that as, as you know, concerning the reports that came in about him, he yeah. was the villain the whole time. Yeah, exactly. He was just very good at hiding it. 
But exactly. I'm talking specifically. Yes, absolutely. I'm talking but, but about no, the film specifically with like right, Avengers it, versus Avengers: Age of Ultron. Exactly. That's what I'm referring what to. But but I, I don't want to dissuade. I don't want to dis. What you are saying is absolutely right. He's been a shitter since Buffy, and that was the first work that kind of put him on the map. You know, so right. anyway, I I, I yeah. agree. I'm not I'm not saying that I don't agree with that. It's in terms of the the, the two Avengers films that we have to judge him by because absolutely. we have we can judge the Russo brothers by what their body of work when it comes to Avengers and Captain America films too. For so, sure, and and I yeah. think you know if that reception to Age of Ultron hadn't been so bad. And the, you know, the reports that came out about the filming of that hadn't been so poor. He might have been around a lot longer with the MCU than he actually was, which, I mean, who knows what that would have looked like. Yeah, exactly. This film is fascinating to me because looking at it, it feels like such a bottle in time with some of the things that it's, Mm -hmm. you know, Y'all remember when the Tesseract, everyone was calling it the cause, like everyone was like, that's definitely the cosmic cube, myself included. Years before it was ever called an infinity stone, uh, this square, this little cube was the main MacGuffin for the Mm -hmm. film. And it's, it's interesting to me that they set that up from the very beginning. They set it up in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, and they continue that trend here. And, from the start, from the get out of this film, the one of the main things, there were two thoughts that I had within the first, let's say, 20 minutes of the film. And that was, God damn, do I love a truly villainous Tom Hiddleston Loki? Because he's so good. Like we're I think we're all used to the more like anti-hero esque role that he's found himself in. Um whether it's, you know, basically all of his appearances post Thor <laughs> the Dark World. Yeah. I kind of love just chewing the scenery Machiavellian villain oh. Loki with Tom Hiddleston at the helm. And the second thought was why in God's name did we ever change how Iron Man gets in and out of his armor? Agreed. Because the scene that establishes him when he flies back up to Stark Tower, lands the little like machine shop comes out and he's walking and the pieces are being taken off of him. That is still the dopest thing. And I I don't understand. I get it. I get it for budgetary reasons, the effects reasons, whatever. But I just miss how cool it looked seeing him suit up in this film. Like it was wild to me. Completely is it, agree. Is that your favorite? Actually, let me say, AJ, is that your favorite? The way that's your favorite uh, D suit in uh, the oh. Iron Man CU? Um, it's the one with the triangle, right? Yes. That, yeah. I, the one I, at the beginning, yeah, is the one with the triangle. Yeah. Like, I, I you know, like, it's funny that you asked that specifically because I might have having to give it a thought. But, like, really, now that I think about it like that's to me iron man like when i really was getting into iron man was like around 2006 with civil war when that was coming out like that was one of like of course yeah no exactly like but like you know when you're like 13 it's just like oh whoa superheroes fighting each other this is (laughs) this is dope you were 13 Um, in 2006 um, no there's no way wait like i'm hanging up if you were 13 in 2006 we cannot be having this conversation i need some id in 2006? Yeah, 19 I was born in 1993. Oh my god. Oh, that's right. You're you're younger than me. I forgot. 
Yeah. Well, good for yeah. you, AJ. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for Fuck you, off. buddy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was 2006 was my first year of high school. Yeah, it was, I was I was 14 years old. So yeah. suck it, old man. Just suck it, old man. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, like my so like the first images of Iron Man really for me is with that triangle and and like seeing that in Avengers yeah, as like as like as like sort of like the big like big like you know fireworks display of getting to see iron man was kind of just like nah this is it for me this is i don't know if we can get any better from here and and especially with iron man 3 it did not get that much better afterwards i will say with iron man 3 i do like the modular style with the armor the pieces like flying onto him separately yeah, but everything after that, they just they were like this. There's one way we're going to do this. We're going to do nano machines, and right. it it just as cool as everybody loves like the suit up scene in Infinity War. Nothing's ever going to beat up beat the the suit up scene with the suitcase in Iron Man Two. Yeah, like, for sure. It's the top. Sure. It's the I, best that has ever looked. You know, I think it's also like a feeling when you're watching it. Like yeah. the nanotech kind of just like turns almost a little bit, you know, Power Rangers or. Um, yes. Especially now like, that everybody does it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. And, you know, it, it kind of feels like sleeker. But at the same time, I miss feeling like the Iron Man suit is a tank. Because like yeah. when it had to be screwed onto him, it felt like a walking tank was in the room. Like really there's a. There's a literal weight that came on with Iron Man when he was on the screen that just doesn't. It's just it's just not there anymore. Yeah, I I love set photos of seeing him actually in the suit in those yes. early MCU films because mm-hmm. like nowadays, I mean, you even look at uh, you even look at Spider Man with how yeah, his costume one of the triangles, the circles. Yeah. yeah, it's just him yeah. in the fucking little mocap suit, and I'm like, guys, can't we just just put him in costumes? This is Disney. Exactly. That's what Disney this is about, dollars. Guys. We talked Seriously. about this. Like, this, uh, but they've got Disney dollars to spare. They make the money. <laughs> yeah, like. This, at this point, just the eyes like that. That's just all you need the CGI for. Everything else can be practical. One hundred percent. Kind of going on like suit designs because I love costuming designs. Yes. The worst design and my least favorite probably in the entire MCU history is Captain America's costume. I would literally was movie. thinking that. I'm so glad you said it. I was. I disagree. That. There are much uglier costumes. I, but... Oh, name three. OK, so let's go with. Uh, the first Thor film, I do not like his costume there. Um, I think you could you could stack up as as much as I I have bagged on this film, and I will continue to bag on this film. All of the Eternals costumes are just messes to me. I do not like them. I do not like it. Sam, I am. They are just they're <laughs> just gumbled garbage to me. And then I fuck I. I hate the new Thor costume. Like I, on a fundamental level, it's so bad. It's like, let's just throw a bunch of fucking metallic looking colors on him. And that's what his costume is. Like I cannot stand that. You know, ironically enough, that's a practical costume too. I know. I know. And it's it's like, like, you went practical for this, but for this, yeah. Well, I, I feel like the same issues that that costume has is where we also see the same issues in this costume, though. You're not like, wrong. You're not wrong. It, like the like I I agree with pretty much every everyone you said before. I'm just like, all right, I'll, I I do have to give them like those, but this one still like kind of takes the cake because I feel like first of all, it does not fit well to Chris has, Chris no. Evans' form. 
like at all. It kind of shows a little too much where, you know, it, it we're standing next to, you know, Chris Hemsworth in full plate armor is <laughs> not going to look good. Um, the color scheme is while like, of course, traditional red, white, and blue, it's, it's way too bright. It's way too. I like it. it I like I, it. Oh, I like man. it a lot. And it, it I, makes sense narratively. Cause it was like, it was designed by Coulson, who's such a fan, but like, that's how I would fucking design it. Like that bright, I would 100% design it that way. Right. Um, but, but I, I agree with you. Like it doesn't look form fitting on him because I think yeah. Evans was too big for it. Like he was too built and it mm-hmm. looks like, like the helmet is too small for him. Exactly. I completely agree. Like it was almost like trying to be too form fitting to him yeah. and got like a little too tight. I also think like, I'm trying to just think on like, what's the right words to describe all of the suits afterwards because the first Captain America suit is fantastic. So good. And so then, good. and then all the rest, like, like afterwards, like the stealth suit I love is probably like, great. like probably my favorite Captain America look just cause it's just so gritty and just so like, you know, when they sneak on board into the second one, Oh, chef's kiss so good like this one like all i don't know just the angles just seem off with it all there's too little where there should be too much and there's too much where there should be too little yeah 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 i i I agree it's not my favorite suit either and everything i gotta yeah but i mean but again and it's funny and i think maybe in comparison because we have at the time we didn't have anything to judge it by now we have five more films six more films to judge it by so and mm-hmm. let's, I mean, I totally agree. The Winter Soldier costume, which is the one you're talking about, right, AJ? Yeah. Okay. That one, for the people that don't know what the stealth suit is, the Winter Soldier <laughs> film suit that he was wearing was awesome. And he even has that line in it, too, where, you know, towards the end when he's, when he's grabbing his suit with um with Anthony Mackie's character, uh, I think that that, he takes his suit from, even he goes back to the original Captain America, the, the Captain Mender. Captain America versus Avengers. Sorry, guys. Um, and he, they take it from the museum, and he puts that suit on for the last battle of Winter Soldier, if I recall. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's this. And it only matters now is because of how popular Captain America has become. I think, in my opinion, True. superseded mm-hmm. Iron Man's popularity. And you know, their arcs kind of ended at the same time. They began clearly enough, close enough, at the same time. And um, you know, yeah, it is kind of glaring. But again, we're looking back on it ten years. So we've yeah. got all this new information to go off of and what Chris Evans is, had turned, you know, Steve into like yeah. he, you know, so, so many people identify with that character. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I, I couldn't agree. More. And I do disagree with you, Eric, about that first Thor costume. I think with the red cape in the very first film, but again, it's just for me looking at it from the lens of someone who hasn't ingested right. years and years of comic books it's just on the screen and because it this you know the backdrop of the new mexico desert is so yeesh, and then you have this really <laughs> red cape and it's just to me it just it's it's and eye-catching you, and you know what i i'm gonna i'm gonna retract that statement because i realized we still have the MCU Infinity War Iron Spider suit, which is legit my least favorite costume in that entire franchise. It is ugly as sin. It it's is. terrible. And if you like it, you're terrible. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just a bad costume. Get out of here. You're no longer allowed on the Discord. We'll find you. I will find you on the Discord and I will fight you. It's, yeah, I, I God, yeah, that's fucking um and i will say i did rewatch that first thor movie and oh man it's so good it's good. so much I fun not, i did not give yeah. that movie its props when it came out 
and you know but also a, a you know a plus costume thor's in this like especially yeah where he's like sleeveless Dude, and he's showing off the face jack to all yeah. hell for this not quite yeah. as big as he is in the most recent love and thunder movie but there's a reason they were like yeah you can go sleeveless for most of this exactly. yeah <laughs> yeah like and he's got such a presence to him and he still had like the long um yeah it, like the hair was a little different within each movie. Like I because, feel like because the first two movies, it was a wig. Yeah. Like th- this, yeah. this movie, and then the first Thor movie, they were both wigs. This one, a considerably better wig, and <laughs> they also I mean, look at it, look it at it. Like it's, it's the best wig. And then in, in the in the first movie, they dyed his eyebrows blonde. They dyed yeah. his beard blonde, and it just looks. It's hard to look at at times because it's, it's like bleached. But yeah. in this one, they were like, we're not dyeing your eyebrows. We're going to shave down your beard so it's literally just stubble. And we're going to get you a more natural looking wig. And Hemsworth has gone on record saying he fucking hated that. So he grew out his hair for the Dark World. Mm-hmm. So if you watch that movie, that's his actual hair. Or it looks like, or to me, it looks the best. It looks the best. For long yeah. hair Thor, that movie looks the best. Okay, I was, I, I think Ragnarok, personally, he looked, but it's because he's short hair. I, I, okay, right, gotcha. absolutely. Totally yeah. agree. Short hair Hemsworth as Thor just looks better. Yeah, he's an Adontis. Eh. You know what I mean? Like, I, he's, oh, well. <laughs> he's a Samson, love- for sure. Who's he's Samson? A Sam, he, he's a Samson in a way. There's a certain regality to him when he has his long hair. And then AJ's just saying that because he currently has long hair. I'm going to so say, yeah, he's, say he's just long just hair like, club. Yeah, like I, I've got to, I've got to be in that. Men with long hair is always. Gonna be, I love the Aragorn look, and you can't convince me otherwise. That's, you know what? That's one hundred percent fair. Uh, I am just a sucker for unworthy Thor in the comics. So when they were like, like, "Yeah, we're cutting his hair in Ragnarok," I'm like, "Thank God." Like, and and to say, like to add, I do make jokes, but like I love that look to to death. Like, and I do agree that that look is fantastic. I again, I'm a traditionalist, and I'm always going to be in the long hair club. But one hundred percent, like. Like seeing like Hemsworth like pop out, and it's also like a, a great, great use of story of just like showing like the long wild old uh god uh being tamed and literally being like forced to get a haircut. Oh, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's so awesome and so gladiatorial and just so like it. Like, it, oh, I love Ragnarok, like it, it's it's so, good, it's so much better than the new Thor movie, I'm 100 oh, and 20 percent. Yeah, I, I can only bet, yeah uh it's but yeah his and his hair does look like in this movie like he's the cover cover model for like l'oreal it is very well conditioned it's a very well conditioned wig um but yeah just kind of going into the the characters since we've talked about them uh thor's a great presence though it is very much he is still in his kenneth Branagh phase where he's like all of their lines are like when i was young i courted war or like Doth you know that father and I mourned you? Like, it is... And again, it goes down to boiling down the essentials of those characters. But it makes him stand out. It makes him Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is a different feel. Which I really enjoy. And they they were doing little subtle comedy bits with him. Like, they weren't sure if he was a funny guy yet. So, like, when they do the, like... Like, take care how you speak. He is a monster, but he is also my brother and everyone's like yeah dude he fucking killed a lot of people he goes he's adopted like it's it's one of those jokes that like he was still feeling out whether he was really funny or not but you can tell there's something there which i really like he's got that line says you people are so petty and And tidy tidy. yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's great 
Um, Hiddleston is also, I, I already mentioned him, but he yeah. is just chariz- oozing charisma in, chewing, this, in this film. Chewing the scenery in the absolute best way. Yeah, in the Germany scene when he's mm-hmm. given his big speech, like, is this not better? Like, you were born to kneel. Like, I fucking, God, I love evil Loki. It's so, so good. Um, since we mentioned him already, uh, Chris Evans' cap. I was surprised to see how much of this portrayal of him is still carried over throughout the rest of the MCU. Like yeah. I've, I've been critical of this portrayal of him in the past, but watching it again being like, no, oh, yeah, they kind of got it. He's, he's got like, he's very stoic. Um, he does buck authority, but he also, he's got these moments of, I, I like to call it like, like, he's got those office gym moments where it's like he just kind of like makes a face or he's just like he's very very subtle with his comedy and chris evans is a is hilarious as a Mm -hmm. person and as an actor if you don't believe me go watch not another teen movie it is a master class (laughs) in chris evans comedy but like even like the subtle bits of like you know i i bet nothing would surprise me anymore and he's like 10 bucks says you're wrong and then they go on the helicarrier it fucking flies up and he just goes over and he just palms him 10 bucks as he walks by him like yeah. he's very good in this film yeah and like kind of speaking like i love this uh, portrayal of captain america because he is the like strong grounding presence in every scene he is in yeah. like it's not it's and it's not whether to say he's right or wrong but he's always bringing everyone back into the main focus which is what the group needs because they're obviously in uh, disarray they're all powerful characters they've all got powerful egos on top of that and so this sort of human plus character to be the one and be and to be you know the rock amongst everything and all these you know waving balloons being the one thing to hold on to them and bring them back in to form the collection it's something that I think, like you say, is it, you you see that theme go throughout the rest of the MCU, and it only gets better from there. I, you know, it's funny. I wouldn't have got that from the first Avenger. Like to me, again, I, I'm not. I'm not going to shit on it because I don't want to upset Eric. But um, <laughs> like, it was okay. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great. So for me, the 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 way they kind of built out Captain America's character came in Avengers. Like what you're talking about, AG is where you get more, you feel like you get more of him. And, and I think that's where, cause obviously the, the, the next installment of the Captain America series is widely considered the best film in the series. So where they took that character, um, I think maybe you needed two more, two films to kind of get a foothold on that, at least in my opinion for as the average film watcher. But, um, but I think that, yeah, they, what he did for the group, because you have Tony the Wild. Everybody likes Tony because he's the wild card. He's the Riggs in Lethal Weapon. You know what I mean? He's not the Murtaugh. Excellent pull. Yeah, Excellent see, pull. This is before both of you were alive. I didn't see that in the theater. Though, I can tell you that. Um, yeah, he, 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 he was there. High school, I was not high there. High school graduation. I was not watching there. Lethal yeah, Weapon graduation. for the first time. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer. In the theater when you could do that. No, I'm kidding. You can't do that. Um, but But yeah, I think that... And, 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 and that, you know, that, that friction that's caused between those two characters and, and, you know, we get it a lot. We get it a lot when they're talking in, in, in the Quinjet at first, 
Um, you get it a lot when they're talking, uh, when the first time that we realized that Loki's aboard and he's trying to get Banner to kind of destroy the ship. You know, the friction that comes from that, if it's not from Loki and the group, it's from it's from Tony and it's from Cap. So yeah. you that is set very early in this series and you kind of see it carry all the way through until the very beginning of Infinity War. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see that in, in, you know, I, I agree with what AJ said. I really do. It's like, you see him kind of the grounding presence and, you know, the reality part of it. And I just think that that's where kind of most people would put their chips if they had to on that side of the table, you know? So, so, but yeah, it was great to see that because I wasn't sure. a fan of cap when first Avenger came out, but I absolutely was when the Avengers came out. So, well, and I think this film and I'm still I I'm still mad that they deleted this scene, but this film is really the start of that underlying depression that he has throughout the entirety of the MCU from here onwards. There's this beautiful scene. If you haven't watched it, there's a beautiful scene of him just kind of walking around New York. He's just in his civvies and he's kind of like walking around and seeing like how much has changed. And there's this quietness and there's this like this quiet sadness to him from this movie onwards. And you really get to see it in, uh, in winter soldier and in civil war and even into like, uh, into infinity war where you get to see him really grappling with this idea of like, he is, he is a soldier far from home mm -hmm. and he is, he goes and you see him like do, doing his sketches at the diner, which sets up, what I completely forgot the Ashley Johnson cameo. Yes, that's just what I was going to get to. Just like, oh, my favorite cameo in that movie. I forgot she was in this movie. I'm so happy. For those of you who don't know, uh, you're heathens. But athlete <laughs> Ashley Johnson, very accomplished voice actress and on screen actress. Uh, she's the voice of Ellie in The Last of Us. She is, I think, very, if not just as much, um, possibly a little bit more well known for Critical Role. Um, she's incredible. And in this film, she plays this, uh, this diner waitress and she is just, ah, man, I love her so much. I, I love the deleted scenes with her where they continue on her story. Yes. I'm always just like, ah, this is so good. Show the every man show what's happening on that perspective. Don't cut yeah. that. And um, like, and, and his, you know, having cat interact with her so much is, is a big part of that, which I really enjoy, mm -hmm. but this really does start that moment of him being like, okay, I don't really understand what's happening in this world anymore. And mm -hmm. which is ultimately paid off at the end of Endgame in an ending that always makes me cry. Uh, it's, it's beautiful, but moving on to who, uh, who Chris already mentioned our third of the big trio, the big three Iron Man. This is, it's interesting to me because I have always liked Iron Man's portrayal in his solo films and not so much in the Avengers films, at least the first two, hmm. because Joss Whedon is very focused on making him the quip machine where it's like he walks into a situation, doesn't take anything seriously, and then he's automatically like, I already have a solution. Which is which is cool in the moment and as a contrast for everybody is interesting, but I don't think he's as interesting as say like Iron Man three when he's dealing with PTSD and he has pathos and he has depth to him. Uh, it feels very surface level for him in this film. 
Well, for me, like I love like this portrayal of it because it is the moment before PTSD. It is the arrogance right. that kind of comes with it, and it's that moment before downfall. I completely recognize your point and agree with like just like I can see how you know, especially afterwards, where Tony's really dealing with his issues and his issues are sort of boiling over, and we see the downfall of it. I think is always the most fascinating Iron Man when yeah. you know he's Agreed. having to deal with his inner demons, but like. You know, in like the first movie and the second movie and then in Avengers, those those are the three movies where we get to see um, like pre-trauma and pre-battle um, scars and the arrogance and kind of like that Icarus effect of, of going too close to the sun and trying to, um, you know, accomplish so much. I and like I completely agree, though, in that like it's every single goddamn scene he has to say something funny or some sort of joke. And I think, you know, kind of like creating a team uh, sort of dynamic, you have to have, you know, your archetypes of like the tanks where we see it with, um, you know, whole kind of our, you know, special all uh, where we get with Thor, our leader, where we get with Captain America. And then we get our, have our rogue, which is kind of is more or less kind of uh, Tony because he has to be the like somebody to kind of go against what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I, I I would say though, for for specifically using the terminology, he is very clearly a uh, a bard artificer uh, multi class. Oh you don't think he's wizard got, artificer? I don't think so because he's got that natural charisma and he loves sleeping with people. So like, yeah, but he's got weak constitution. So why not just add it all to charisma? He Chris does have weak, but he has but his weak constitution no, I'm is overcome I'm by sorry. his upgrade. Oh, sorry, 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 Chris. No, uh, no, it's here. cool. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but no, it's I I definitely see what you're saying. It it makes sense to me. I just this is a film that I would have liked because we get. I feel like we get so much more depth with him in Iron Man One, where he's like, you know, he has that you know that moment with Pepper where he's like, I survived this for a reason. I need to do. I need to make the world a better place to make my life worth something, and that's the whole crux. Right. of that first Iron Man film. And then we see him fall right back down in Iron Man 2 into the worst version of himself. And then it continues oh. to roll in the Avengers. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but no, but no, we, we, we've already done this with him. Mm -hmm. He's already I, passed this narratively. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I just feel like all of that is kind of building up to that like grand Ultron slash, you know, um, Thanos moment where it is yeah. to show like just because because you're absolutely right and that we see um a little bit of self-reflection and a little bit of like you know owning his own actions um but like especially in the first movie it's when he's first grasping power and first learning to handle it and then the fair and in the second movie you know oh, that that scene where he's fighting Rhodey and he's just like come take it like I, it's still like one of my favorite Iron Man moments yeah. but like also, also has a banging soundtrack so good so good um like in, in in like that context with him it's it is all about like him really flexing him really stretching out and seeing what he can do so like again like you know playing on on the idea that he's getting arrogant and more arrogant on a third movie sort of slates to have it where he's really finally having to sacrifice something which is himself but also dealing with taking a look out of the veil of the universe and seeing that we are just a tiny small dot in an ocean and there are massive fish around us ready to swallow us whole like and then seeing like all of 
all of that's like accumulated and all of that PTSD really shine in Iron Man 3, I think like, I don't know, like I completely agree that like it's very repetitive, but mm -hmm. to me, it feels more like digging your own grave or ramping up your actions or an addict who's just going on a bender. Fair. And Chris, how did, how did you feel about Iron well, Man in this one? I see it's so mixed and I, and I love the comparison Adrian just made about being an addict because one of my, one of my good friends, um, I had no idea about Iron Man when it first came out and what it was about and this, that, and the other. But, um, he, he mentioned and described him like he was an alcoholic who just mm -hmm. was in And through that, you know, he has this other ability and this great intelligence and, and whatnot. And you kind of see that. And if you look at, not so we're looking at the Avengers as a vignette for Iron Man, but if you step beyond that and look at his arc, where the first the first two films he's he's clearly an addict dealing with something, and then the third he has PTSD from um, from Avengers, and then going forward from Civil War, and he's kind of like taking this, hey, we need to be put in check type of thing. It, 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 and for for me, it's like the arc of someone who has gone through it, who's come out of it, and like, hey, these are my standards now. We we don't mess around with this because if we do, I go back to that area and I don't want to do that. So as a whole, I think that they did an excellent job with Iron Man again, from the cinematic point of view. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the comics or anything like that in this film. Yeah. I think that they made him kind of not slapsticky. Um, always the jokiness part of it, even and some of it is, is, classic tony when colson shows up you call him phil you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah those little one-liners in my mind are okay because he's joking with pepper about that but when he's talking to to cap to fury and banner when they're in the lab he's like just let it go you know what i mean it's like to me that's that's almost you know you're there's no reason for that and, and, and the character doesn't support that type of dialogue which to me as a writer you kind of come off your rails you've kind of come off where you're kind of taking this this character and i think they did that because they had to have an extreme opposite to what cap was that would be my own if i had to make an excuse yeah, that, that would be sense. the excuse i would lean towards because for cap sure. is so opposite and you have to have someone who's creating this who's eliciting this this almost um a fighting response yeah. it has to be something mm -hmm. very very you know mean or, or very um lack of days ago you're not taking this seriously which i believe he says a couple of times right uh, and so i think they that he had to push him that far left or right so that that cap could respond in kind with a left or right response but you know i think it does the 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 character a disservice in the grand scheme of things however i do like i really like where they took uh tony's like Iron Man 2008 film to End Games 2019. Yeah. 19. Yeah. Is it 19? Yeah. 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 But no, but I, I I do agree with both of you in terms of him. He doesn't need to be like, he doesn't. And I had the same, just sidebar, I had the same issue with Love and Thunder. Every time we see Thor, he's joking. And a lot of the comments mm -hmm. are saying, like, hey, we don't need that all the time because you have no, you have no differential. You have yeah. no differential. And, and, and it's like they're not taking it anything seriously so why should we? yeah it takes the weight out of every like bit of event yeah. that goes on and there's suddenly no like real gravity to the story it's just like we're having a colorful like fun romp now uh, i yeah. feel like we could have said the same thing 
in King Kong versus Godzilla's review. Like we could have taken that exact <sighs> fucking yeah. sentence and dropped it into that review. And that would be equally true. 100%. It would almost be equally true, except everyone took when the round that King Kong won very seriously. So um, well, that's, that's, that that's the one disagree. Speaking um, of, did you, I was, so... I was, yeah, right. <laughs> So, did you guys uh, see sidebar that they're making a sequel did you they guys are. see this they are fucking yeah. i would almost lost it i'm like and, and, and i don't want to i don't want to get upset in the sunday morning so <laughs> well you know we, we got to give a movie where it looks like godzilla actually looks like he has a chance so, all so of you, i get it um going to the next adventure <laughs> going to the next adventure uh i i would i am very curious how you guys felt about black widow in this film because this was Again, boiled down to her essentials, Black Widow. And this is the beginning of girl boss treatment, Black Widow, <laughs> where it's like she she's as much as Tony is a quit machine. ScarJo is also a quit machine in this film, and I did not realize it, but she is very she's very much like the. Yeah, this will be fun. Or like, <laughs> I don't see how that's a party. Like it's all yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, I think it's different because all of her quips are so deadpan. I was but it's literally that, just thinking that I was, it's funny. So I was thinking but that, it's yeah. like, it's, it's funny because she is like, I don't know. She feels like a non sequitur in this film. She's basically there to be like the boys or yeah. like, ju or just like, I am, I'm on a team with children, like kind of character and mm -hmm. we would see this often in the 2010s both before and after mm -hmm. this with specific superheroes of team-up films joss whedon loves this trope he yes, loves yeah. this trope to death of the uh of the female character who is just so much more capable than the men characters but treats them like children because do not get me wrong do not get it twisted i think that on most levels in superhero teams the women are far more accomplished than the men it's, it's the way that it's handled here i guess which is weird to me because it's her being like i am again kind of in the same way that tony is like i've always got a plan but at the same time being physically objectified in the entire film as well that like creates a weird dissonance for me what well, you guys think about Sweden that? too right true yeah that too you know. that too for me with it i think like i and i completely agree in that like there's always like going to be a quip from somebody there's going to be a bit of sass from uh both iron man and black widow and it does kind of create this sort of effect of just like well is black widow watching this with us or is she a part of what's going on because it never really feels like it does feel like she has a purpose and that she is capable and like of course she is but every time that something kind of a problem kind of arises there's no like idea or answer from her character which is just more of a, sh a shining that it it's a poorly written character in this movie yeah. and you know it, it's kind of just feeling of just like well you know these characters are solving the problem so she's got to got to say something to roll her eyes at or you know make a joke about when, when instead of just like well no why can like she's more than capable how why is she not like going and taking charge and giving her mind mindset and saying her piece and saying of just like no this is how we need to execute x y and z you know i i, I wonder if and again this is not gonna i don't this is a joss whedon thing personally i think that they may have like expended a lot of their 
screen time. And let's be honest, we have we have three characters who have had their own films by now, right? One who's had two. So like we have to dole out specific amounts of screen time to, to people to create these arcs. And I'm wondering if maybe that was where we were kind of hitting the wall only mm. because not only do we have to introduce kind of a brand new version of Hulk because, the, you know what I mean? I don't know how many people would yeah that was the same guy that destroyed that library and and that was um what's his uh da, 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 uh steven tyler's daughter Liv tyler you know they oh, don't yeah. we i don't know if they 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 would make the association oh that's the same guy maybe they do maybe they don't but we had to introduce that character which is funny enough she, she was the bridge to do that in the opening mm -hmm. scene um but you know to me i felt like maybe they ran into space i i feel the same way about hawkeye i feel like kind of hawkeye was kind of he in got the, the shaft in this. Dude, one hundred. And I, one hundred percent think that his his arc in Ultron. I thought about this last night. Was partly because that it's kind of like a hey, let me get you back on this <laughs> end of it too, because we got we shafted you hard on the first one. But I love Natasha's character, and I think that you know her quips to me. I think them delivered the way they were. It's funny, Eric. You made a good mention of it. Um, were the only way they could have been delivered, and I thought they just landed perfectly. Although yeah. I do think that it was kind of. This to me is where the vibe of where my Marvel and Disney come into effect and, and you can see how different they are from Nolan. And I'm just going to make the comparison often because these are in the same film space like we talked about. Nolan's Batman, Dark Knight Rises came out the same year and we had Catwoman um, played by Anne Hathaway. And, so she, and she was, right? So and good. if you look at Anne Hathaway, who, who you could kind of maybe possibly argue, I, I think she has a bigger role than in ScarJo in, in The Avengers. Um, so we had more of her character to kind of learn with and kind of and kind of feel out. Um, but those are two female characters, two female characters, two very powerful characters, one an ensemble piece and one not. I think that we got so much more from the way Anne Hathaway played Catwoman than we did with ScarJo played Natasha in the first Avengers. I want to say that right. does change the longer we go. I think that you link her up with Bruce and with Steve, that changes. But again, it's like what I just said. She's still a sub character to two other main characters, which, you know, I think we got her feature film too late. I didn't, I yeah. don't. 100%. You know, yeah. I, this should have been, been in 2017. Black. Well, the yeah. Black Widow movie should have come out like in 2013. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but that, the specific film that we got should have been in 2017. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, again, I enjoy her presence on, on screen as Natasha. I really do. But that has grown. I didn't love her in Avengers. I did the more Captain America films we got in this. And of course in the infinity saga too, that was, that was great. So, but again, she's playing with Steve and with uh, Bruce. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if we really nailed the director or writer. And of course we won't now because spoiler alert, she's dead. Um, Wait, to, what? 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 What did this happen? <laughs> to, to really kind of capture that, I feel like it's a supreme missed opportunity in, in the way that ScarJo and Disney's business relations kind of unfolded very publicly. I think that ship has sailed. You know, yeah. I think that yeah. it's 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 a super unfortunate kind of closing to what was a really great addition to that to that uh, to that franchise. But in this film, yeah. I didn't love her in this film. I really didn't. Well, and it's interesting to me too because, like, with as much as she does get in this film like i feel like she's still overshadowed by a character like the hulk 
Like yeah. I think yeah. Mark Ruffalo does a wonderful job in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he becomes his Bruce Banner becomes more of a caricature as the MCU goes on. <laughs> and this first outing for him, like there's very subtle things that he does. Like when they're on the helicarrier for the first time, and he's just like kind of like looking around at everything. He sees two guards, and he just kind of like turns away, like really awkwardly. Like it's subtle acts like that. Like oh, of course he has a fear of like armed guards like he's been mm-hmm. running from them for years and so he feels uncomfortable with this he is very good yeah. in this movie and he yeah. has as we said chris's favorite line the i'm always angry that was one of those like watershed moments in the theater when that mm-hmm. happened the entire auditorium erupted mm-hmm. when that moment happened in the film and even this time rewatching it for this i was like God, that plays so well. It's it such a great moment. And I I love the and this is gonna this is probably gonna sound strange, but I love the the gorilla treatment for the Hulk in this. Mm-hmm. Like he's oh, very yeah. much like has that physicality, which I feel like he ha- he has certainly lost since <laughs> like Infinity War. Um, as he's become more, you know refined i guess is the word but like i i miss him feeling like a wrecking ball and a force of nature mm-hmm. um, same and i think he he does a great job in in this film of balancing that hey you know i'm just a I'm just a you know i'm just a guy between that and being like constantly paranoid everyone's mm-hmm. out to get him <laughs> no one wants him on the team for his brain they only want him for his brawn and he's surprised every time that someone brings up his scientific accomplishments and i i, I don't know i really like him in this film How, what did you guys think i i completely agree i like everything that was said i love mark ruffalo's performance i think like kind of coming out to bat after edward norton is a hard task to follow and i think like he like took the ball and ran with it like really really did something great and i think it's probably my favorite hulk to be honest like yeah i I mean like i like the edward norton movie for what it is like i i don't like some people hate it i don't i I think it's fine but i think it's fine but this is probably, I think it's my favorite uh, Mark Ruffalo performance with Bruce Banner. And it's just like Hulk has the gravity and like you are afraid. Like when you're in the airship and he bursts out, it's yeah. just like, oh, that's going to be a horror monster. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, oh, that's not a fun time right there. No. <laughs> oh, close quarters with a big guy. Nope. No. Yeah, and and I will and I will say for all the things that because we did a lot of bagging on Edward Norton earlier, Edward Norton's Bruce Banner is very good. Yeah, very good. But yeah. I do really enjoy this Mark Ruffalo Bruce Banner. Um, pretty much from like Ragnarok on, it's just like mm, mm, yeah. Mm. But like in this film specifically, he is so good, and it made sense to have him be this. You know, he's very much the doc, the uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation mm-hmm. in here, which is the basis of the character. But he feels like that in this, where he's this guy who's just got something bubbling at the surface. And there's that talk. I, there's a joke like a couple times where he's like, you want to know my secret? He's like, oh, you want to teach me, want me to teach you my secret? And then the finally the payoff of what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, you already mentioned like it's your favorite line. What did you think about Mark Ruffalo here? 
I think he's great. And I've liked Mark Ruffalo for a while. I will say that I one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies is Collateral. And he's in Collateral. And he, plays, right. like, he plays the detective in Collateral. And um, that was before uh, that was before this. So I've kind of been tracking Mark for a hot minute. And then uh, Spotlight. He was that was of course after. So I enjoy his great, performances yeah. very, very well. It was kind of he was kind of, I would say, as an actor underused in this, but as a character that he was trying to play was spot on. I love what's funny, for as much as uh like we made tony kind of a punching bag when it comes to the quips his interactions with banner are dope so you, good. you yeah. nailed it when he says you should come down to stark building we've got the whole like whatever floor is r d you love it it's a kid's playground right like and then we see that as we go on to you know age of Ultron, obviously when they kind of work two scientific minds who are brilliant and it's interesting to see that part of it you know what i mean because yeah. you i love the dr jekyll and mr hyde um callback because that's exactly what it's like at that point i don't i don't like the brainy hulk or what are we calling him now there's like there's uh, he, a word. his official designation in the comics is professor hulk professor hulk yeah, um, <laughs> yeah to, to me it's much more interesting when you have that conflict and i think in this in this film especially we yeah. see that and i think that hulk for me was was my second most interested character in this i liked tony because i was i was team tony for for forever your and entire then, life yeah well especially <laughs> yeah especially during civil war it's true um you know, you have this introduction to this very intelligent man who's also has uncontrollable this. this what is what? How do you describe it? An uncontrollable rage issue. I forget what what fucking Tony says, but he says something like that. Yeah, he, he's like, I love the way you like smash thing. I love like it's like I love the way you smash things and turn into like an uncontrollable green gray green monster or something. Yeah, like that. Something yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I've really enjoyed watching him on the helicarrier too. He's like, this doesn't go underwater, does it? Because you know. <laughs> And he's like, no, yeah. And then it lifts exactly. up and he's like, oh yeah, no, this, oh, is, this is, much is much better. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, no, I, and, and him as an actor is he, he's, he's great. So I really enjoyed his character portrayal of, of Hulk in the film. I thought, I, I thought it was great. I really did. And the line he has is just, it's forever going to sit in my heart. You know, it's, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's so good. It's so good. For sure. And we're, we're going to take a little, a little hop, skip and a jump over Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye. Cause as we said, he really gets yeah. the shaft in this movie. Yeah. He's just kind of a drone until the end. But I, I do want to talk about possibly the main character of the film, which I didn't really understand until watching this again recently. Nick Fury is almost our main character. Cause we see he starts and closes the film. Mm-hmm. And I Daniel. think that's a, a, wonderfully left field choice and how to give the ball to anybody but samuel jackson seems ludicrous because no one could have carried that movie like samuel jackson did yeah he he, chris mentioned one of his favorite lines one of my favorite lines is still like the council has made this decision he's like i understand the council has made this decision but given that's a stupid ass decision i've elected to ignore it like that's still one of that is a line that i've carried with me through my through my years since then so yeah. good. i mean i i i can't i i don't give what what aj said was 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 great i don't samuels is he's okay i don't i can't say he's great like i know he's he's like the highest earning actor on the planet i think he's great in in some of his tarantino films i don't in the nick fury part i i honestly feel like you could have put any accomplished actor in that part and it would have and it wouldn't have suffered what See, did Samuel L. Jackson bring to the film that no other no other qualified actor could have? The same way, Jackson. 
Yeah, and that's it. Like the same weight, the same charisma, and the same energy that he brings with every other movie he does, whether it be Django or whether it be um, Pulp Fiction, it is still always going to be a specific kind of flavor and a specific kind of energy that can be malleable in its own right because it's also the same thing of why it works for Mace Windu in uh, Star Wars. Like that's a bland, like like not that impressive Boy, character. But when you, but when Samuel Jackson kind of puts himself there and you get to see like the tone of purple lightsaber that comes from him and gets to shine bright, like he like takes these characters that could be so forgettable and adds a quality that only he can deliver to. Like no one else has like, has that. And I, and I think like casting him as Nick Fury was such a good decision because I think in any other hands, like it wouldn't have the same uh, weight, charisma or like just energy that we get through all, all the other movies of his it was also a, a very much a legal thing because marvel <laughs> was already using his likeness without yeah. his permission in the comics so like Wait, they do you were? know the story chris yeah no so, okay so the ultimates the ultimate universe uh is a like offshoot of the main marvel universe that was made in the early 2000s to be like let's update these characters for the modern day the modern day being 2000 2001 and when they released the Ultimates comic uh, by Mark Millar and Brian Hitch, Brian Hitch full on just drew Nick Fury as Samuel L. Jackson. Like you look <laughs> at that comic, that's Samuel L. Jackson. And it wasn't until probably like a year or two later when someone showed him the comic that he knew about this. And so he goes to Marvel. He's like, what the fuck? Like right. you're using you my likeness. One hundred percent. That's what he said. Um, <laughs> but like he's like, you're using my likeness. I did not give you permission for this. And they're like, no, 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 because you know we were gonna ask you to be in a movie. <laughs> we were gonna ask you, we and we just figured this was the way to get you to see how good you'd look in our universe. <laughs> and like, so that's kind of how oh that God. deal went through. So, but I, but I agree. I agree with AJ. I don't know what it is, and I there is there is no way to properly describe it, mm-hmm. but a certain quality about Samuel L. Jackson, he has it. Whatever it is, there is no one like Samuel L. Jackson. And so if we got someone else, say even if you wanted to go like, okay, let's go like Denzel. Denzel is so different from Samuel L. Jackson as actors and performers. I wouldn't know them, but I would assume as people like they would be completely different characters if you had him in that role. And so having Samuel L. Jackson bring that intangible into this film sings for me and it sings for me every single time because it also it gets to the core of the character. The the whole scene when uh, when Coulson has just died and he goes in, he's just like, yeah, you know, we found this in his jacket. Shame. You never, you never got you to sign them. He throws the bloody captain America trading cards. What a fucking power move, by the way. Like, <laughs> and that being the sign of like, we got to come together for Coulson and they go off. And then Maria Hill comes up and in her very Robin Scherbatsky way, just goes, Hey, so, um, what the fuck was that? Because <laughs> we all know they weren't in his jacket. They were in his locker, which to me is like, where'd you get the blood from Nick? And <laughs> it's, it's this moment of like him saying, yeah, but they needed a motivator. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. this day, that's never been addressed. 
that he lied to them to bring them together. And it's like, I don't know, man, it's, it's a great play See, by him and it shows I, all those different facets. I completely disagree. I couldn't disagree more. I love, this is just, I think a conversation that, that it's, it's, it's kind of different than, than the Avengers part of it, because I think we're victims of familiarity because I'm, I don't know if you guys know, maybe uh, the initial casting of Indiana Jones was going to go to Tom Selleck. Now it's hard to imagine anybody else other than, you know, Harrison Ford being Indiana Jones. You could be like, oh, he brought so much, his voice, his gravitas, his confidence. But at the same time, people thought that about Tom, and to the point where they screen tested him with uh, Kristen, I can't think of her name right now. Right. Um, so I wonder if that is just this case. Because again, I, but again, my point of view is the fact that Samuel is great in Tarantino films because Tarantino will let him talk for 13 minutes on one cut where it's, 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 it's just different. And I just want to bring up here too, that some of the people that I'm sure you guys know, especially Eric on this, um, the people that almost were MCU actors, like Hugh Jackman is Iron Man. Like we can't imagine anybody else as RDJ as Iron Man. But at one point in time, Hugh Jackman was thought of as Iron Man. Krasinski mm -hmm. is Captain America, you know? So they're, right. they're, I think we're just victims of, again, familiarity. Who else could play Captain America other than Chris Evans? Well, John Krasinski might've been able to. It's, we don't, I don't know. agree with that. So, but, <laughs> I but don't people, agree with that. But people, uh, you know, people. But AJ disagrees are, with John Krasinski on a fundamental level as a person. Exactly. That I do. Do you not like uh, Jim Halpert? What's going on? What's going I, on, AJ? I, Mm, no, he's he, he's I'm not, not a Krasinski stand. Yeah, I'm not ready to confess my feelings towards the, towards the office on on <laughs> in recording quite yet. <laughs> in, in some way that can be actually used against him later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's just it's just one of those things where, to me, and my again, it's just my opinion on, and I think right. he's a wonderful actor. When it, and again, I have to shoehorn and end it because if you look at his filmography, which I am looking at it right now, pre uh pre avengers there wasn't anything other than that very pressing legal matter eric that you brought up that really says oh yeah this guy can bring it i mean yeah mace windu was cool but he was cool because of the purple lightsaber not because he was cool because of what which he also he, chose which sure, he chose but, but at his... the same time at the same time right that was something that you know would it have been different if I don't want to use your example, Eric, but Denzel, if he had a Den if Denzel wanted a yellow a gold lightsaber, like we got with Ray on this last one, if they would have um, been like, actually hey, the like yellow gold lightsaber has been used in the comics and in other legacy media before. So but, uh, I'm talking about invalid. fucking movies, not comics. <laughs> but, but like, but like to make, but like to make a counterpoint, it would be weird to see Denzel Washington with a lightsaber. It would be weird to see sure. Denzel Washington. That, like, I'm just going off of what Eric's, example and i'm not throwing that's eric right. under the bus but i'm not, forrest whitaker yes. for that word. Yes, and of course i am being completely okay. racist or i'm saying i am thinking of black actors in the early 2000s that i can shoehorn into playing a one-eyed guy who wears a black leather trench coat who can art you know order a bunch of superheroes around like that's my you know what i mean so right but but, but i but, think in the same yeah. way that they're like and and to your point it not being so much a race thing but like there are certain tangibles in actors like yeah. To take a completely different example, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think I can picture anyone else doing what he did in that movie. Right. Because he has a certain intangible to himself. And that's what makes like these big time movie stars, these big time, you know, personalities 
who they are and why they are cast in things that they are cast in. And so I think it's those intangibles that make him. And, and, and I, I, I recognize that we are coming to this from very different perspectives, but like, I do think that there's a certain intangible to, to Jackson as Nick Fury that I don't think I would necessarily see in another actor. Right. And I completely agree with that in that, like, I think it's a, I think it's like a, a sort of like the personality of the actor always shines a little bit within every part. Like mm-hmm. no matter what you were, you still have to come from yourself as an actor. And I think right. that Samuel Jackson has a quality that he can fit within a lot of like odd circumstances. Like he can fit into the Kingsman uh, franchise. He can He's fit so good into, in that movie. So good. He can fit into the Avengers and still call the shots and still be taken seriously. He can fit into Star Wars into what's you know the closest thing to a fantasy. Like we're never going to see like him as a wizard, but like we can see him as a Jedi. Shit. Can you can you imagine seeing him in that new Lord of the Rings show? It would be fantastic. Get that motherfucker! <laughs> it would be incredible. It would be fantastic. But no, no to, to your point, no. I think the the idea, and we have an example in this movie. Like, I don't think Edward Norton's Bruce Banner would be the same as Mark Ruffalo's as Rich. True. Because of I their agree. intangibles and how different they are as performers. Right. So that's, that's excellent. Yeah, sure. So that, that that's just my point. But I do think that overall, using Nick Fury as kind of the framing device is really interesting. Being almost a a variation on the unreliable narrator trope Mm -hmm. which i love in storytelling and having this idea of him you know saying the final word of like that okay they've all come together they're all going away like what's what's to say they'll never come back together again he says we don't know that but we know that they'll come back because we'll need them and that being kind of the stamp on all these people are superheroes they will come together when they're needed because they are heroes. And that coming from someone who is as jaded as Nick Fury as a character, I think is a wonderful progression for that character from the start of the film to the end of the film. Because they call him out for the phase two stuff, the fact that they're using Hydra weapons for shield weapons, which is a hell of an a foreshadowing for Winter Soldier, which yeah. I find fascinating and didn't even think of until this most recent watch. Um, it's it is really cool to see that character grow and change across this uh, across this film. So I I really enjoy it, and I am going to say that a lot of people really enjoyed it because uh this movie got 21 awards did you miss this segment i missed this segment it's awards <laughs> time avengers garnered 21 awards which is bonkers i'm not gonna list them all to you okay that's a lie i'm listing them all to you so this <laughs> this film uh gained awards for from the esteemed prestigious teen choice awards for oh the, shit for choice summer movie action as well as choice summer movie star for chris hemsworth it got the hollywood award for best vfx for jeff white uh which with the state of the current mcu vfx i think is something that should be highlighted uh, <laughs> It got two People's Choice Awards, one for Favorite Action Movie Star for Hemsworth and Favorite Movie Superhero for Robert Downey Jr. The Annie Award, Animation Awards, which I really like, uh, for Outstanding Achievement, Animated Effects, and a Live Action Production. 
Mm. Uh, two VES awards, Outstanding Created Environment in a Live Action Feature Motion Picture for the Midtown Manhattan set, as well as Outstanding Models in a Feature Motion Picture, which was the Helicarrier. Three MTV Movie Awards for yeah. Best Villain from Tom Hiddleston, Best Fight, Avengers vs. Loki, and Movie of the Year. Uh, gained four Taurus Stunt Awards, uh, one for Best Fight, for Best High Work, for Best Overall Stunt Work by a Stunt Woman, and for Hardest Hit. It gained four Saturn Awards for Best Science Fiction Film, Best Supporting Actor for Clark Gregg in the role of Phil Coulson, uh, Best Director as well as Best Special Effects, and it also gained the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation in Long Form Media. So lots of awards. Rightfully so, I think this film gained a lot of that. And you know what it also gained a lot of? It gained a lot of money. 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 Which means <laughs> it's time once again for Chris's number corner. <laughs> Money was the name of the game. 2012, people. Let's think back for a second. So um, I'm going to give you the budget and then I'm going to tell you what it made. Now, understand that obviously we're looking for double your budget. That's kind of the baseline for this, right? So nice and easy. $200 million. Right, so this makes four hundred million. We're doing good. We're doing real good. You probably want to get around six because you're going to cover advertising. So ideally, God, you would like to be hard. around six to six fifty to turn a nice hefty profit. So domestically, we got six hundred twenty three million. So Ooh. we hit our we hit our number. We hit our number in the states alone. Tripled our budget. Boom, we're covered. Everybody's paid. Done. We're making money now. Worldwide, we made one point five B. B. Damn. Seven times your budget. So now people are getting oh, bonus yeah. checks or buying Mercedes. They're getting their mistresses houses. Like we're, we've made money. Like we have <laughs> made money. We're green lighting Age of Ultron right now to be released in three years. So yeah, $1.5 billion. And I just want to highlight that by telling you some of the other things that came out in 2012. Big one was Skyfall. Skyfall was another number two That's movie that right. came out. Yeah. It wasn't great, great in the movie. States. It was it only earned three hundred million in the state. Only three hundred million. Only three hundred million in the states. Overseas, where Ian Fleming's a much larger presence, eight hundred million. One point one B. Four movies made a billion dollars this year, guys. The third one is the conclusion of Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy. Right. Dark Knight right. Rises, a cool B worldwide. People loved it in the states. Four hundred million, six hundred overseas. I honestly, that, that's, thought, that's what I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say one billion dollars anymore. I'm just gonna say it's a cool B. It's a cool, cool B. B. You know, <laughs> how much money um, did this make? A cool B. A cool B. And honestly, I out of the two, I I obviously liked Avengers. That was kind of the highlight of my year. But I'm not gonna lie, The Dark Knight Rises was so good. The way they ended that movie might <laughs> might be the third. I, I've got. So ending a movie's hard, right, guys? I mean, I'm just going to segue. I'm, I'm going to come back to this. <laughs> and and but, Chris would know because he is an accomplished filmmaker. Thank you very much. Um, my favorite ending of all time in any film is John Carpenter's The Thing. It's so just great right, ending. You know, AJ and I have talked about this in length, and I'd love to talk to you guys more about this too because it's the 41st anniversary, something like that. But it, it, it's perfect in my mind. It's perfect. And it's hard to end a trilogy. It's... it's that's even rougher. In this case, the way the Dark Knight Rises ended was, you said Chef's Kiss. It's 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 perfect. And I just recently discovered something. Uh, Jessica and I got into a big argument recently about who he's with at the end of the movie. I thought he was with Michelle Monaghan. I thought 
that's who. He, but it wasn't. He was with. Uh, he's with Catwoman. I didn't know that. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean, Michelle Monaghan? So the actress, Mich- that I thought just the, the actress, Bruce well, Wayne, whoever she is, the actress Michelle woman Monaghan at cafe, uncredited woman at cafe having dinner with Bruce or whatever. I thought it was you, her. I didn't know all these years until like maybe a couple months ago. I'm dead. I'm not even ten I'm years that, that Batman amazing. ran off with Batwoman. Yes, I didn't <laughs> like, know that. That is the woman. That is Dude, blatantly I, Anne Hathaway. It wasn't. Like, if you look at it again, it's blatantly Anne well, Hathaway. No, 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 no. AJ, you gotta understand. Chris watched this movie and he was like, "Oh, well, he clearly ran away with Silver Saint Cloud. That's yeah. who he's clearly <laughs> there with." Or it was. Uh, it's uh, Tom Cruise's wife in the Mission Impossible, like one through whatever series. Michelle like, Monaghan. Yeah, I, in, <laughs> dude, in my mind, that was her. So when I found out that it was fucking Catwoman, I lost. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. This is like, this is how I wanted it to end. And they did. <laughs> like, so anyway. That's so amazing. I don't know just, how we've never had this conversation. I don't know. Like, years that we've known each come other. Up. I'm just I, like, man, it would have been great if if, if he ran away with Catwoman. He so did. Both of us would be like, <laughs> no, but that's Liv Tyler about? right there. What? Yeah. What are you? He's like, no, she, he was clearly sitting in that cafe yeah. with famed reporter Vicky Vale. You don't understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Margot Robbie finally makes her credit and comes out in a Batman movie yeah, way before. I, I, it's Harley Quinn. I was shocked. I'm, 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 <laughs> when I said this to Jessica, she had the same exact thing as you said, AJ. It was, it was hilarious. But yes, so that, that to me was, was fantastic. So anyway, the last movie that made a cool B that year was The Hobbit. Um, unexpected uh, journey. So, yeah. and that was huge overseas. Almost I forgot 70, that came out that year. Seven hundred million overseas. Yeah, it, according to the numbers, it says, yeah, exactly. It made a little bit more than Ice Age Continental Drift that year. Um, Three hundred million in the states. So wait for the Criterion Collection for that film. Oh uh, yeah, see so if we get a still book and everything. Um, but yeah, so Avengers one point five B. It was just it just it just killed it across the board and in and and of course this is with skyfall everybody that's arguably daniel craig's best bond film and dark knight rises the inclusion of nolan's trilogy like it was going against heavy hitters it wasn't like you know a softball game so but but not the softball games aren't hard because those balls hurt quite much um also uh, side note prometheus came out that year too which i was very hopeful oh god that's right so it's funny when you say it got a saturn award for being best sci-fi film when Prometheus it's like that's hilarious I didn't even think about that you know so and Prometheus is way down the list uh 17th 400 million 126 in the states so yeah beyond it was past Les Mis Wreck-It Ralph Brave Ted Life of Pi God Les Mis came out that year too what a magical year 2012 was 2012 was a really good movie year it was a really good movie year that's yeah, crazy. Lots of good stuff. We talked about and just how um, diversified that is too. Well, yeah. you nailed it. We talked about um, uh, Twenty One Jump Street. Twenty One Jump Street came out that year. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. man, so, so good. Yeah, Silver Linings Playbook came out. There's, there's Looper came out. It was you Looper. know Looper's so, fantastic. God, that was just a golden year for movies. Yeah. <sighs> and then we talk about there's this 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 little nugget of John Carter that's uh. <laughs> We can just kind of everyone's favorite John Carter movie. (laughs) Yeah, right. So Disney won and they lost that year. (laughs) Anyway, that's my numbers corner. It's it's uh, it it, it, twenty twelve was it was a good year for good in a good in a it's a balanced portfolio for Disney. I would say absolutely was. 
So. so as we are as we are wrapping up here for this film, um, it's kind of crazy looking back on this, seeing how much has changed with the cur- with the current landscape of the MCU, how much it has changed when it comes to the filmmaking, when it comes to the directing, the characters, how they are treated here. Um, it is kind of wild, especially comparing to uh, the most recent Thor movie, which. Mm-hmm is a very different film from this uh watching this and kind of going like god just how much personality is in this film like you have very serious moments you have very dark moments you have great humor you have action you have that stunning marvel ultimate alliance one shot that they go through with tony flying Mm -hmm. through the city and just showing all of the different avengers working together it's incredible um some of my favorite scenes uh i love by the way Okay, I completely forgot about this. I love the opening to this movie with Shield, the Tesseract, the mm. you know the appearance mm. of Loki. You know what I didn't remember or expect in my superhero film? A car chase. We've oh, got yeah. a car chase right in the beginning of this film, pulling off some Tokyo drifting in this tunnel away from the Shield base as it crumples due to the portal it's created. I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Um, I also love, obviously, the Cap intro scene showing his PTSD from being woken up from the war. Uh, I love the scene where the the helicarrier takes flight for the first time. It's the first time we'd seen a helicarrier in the MCU. I love the Stuttgart Germany sequence, Loki versus Cap and Iron Man. All of Cap's lines here are gold. You know, last time I was in Germany and saw someone (laughs) standing above other people, we disagreed. Like, I just... I love how cheesecake some of his lines are in this movie. It is, as both of my co-hosts here have said, chef's kiss. It is incredible. Um, Also, just the Helicarrier Siege, that whole second act action scene is incredible. Battle of New York, obviously. And I love, as I already mentioned, the ending of this film. Having jaded Nick Fury believe in heroes again was really, really cool. And I I enjoyed that a lot. Easily, this film is, it holds up in a lot of ways. It doesn't hold up in other ways. But overall, I can say this is still very easily a top 10 MCU film, which as we get further along with the 10s and 20s of films that have come out since then, is becoming increasingly harder to place films in the top 10. But I still love this film. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's it's a testament to what, can be done when you take a film seriously and you make these silly superhero movies actually feel like events because this felt like an event to me um aj final thoughts on the film anything we haven't talked about that you want to cover um you know it like with the passage of time things always change and as they always should um i'm never gonna probably look at a piece of media the same way as i first interact with it nor when i um you know interact with it years later this was a like very fun trip down memory lane like kind of seeing the building blocks and foundation of something that would eventually kind of go all over the place and be very different from what i originally expected would be taken in uh, directions and whatnot for sure i will i will say that with that um sort of taste and change that like as a movie by itself, it doesn't have the same pleasantries as it once did. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that it's still a fun time and it still, you know, does its purpose. 
it just doesn't have the same magic as it once did. And that's for multiple different reasons for, you know, personal and also exterior for, you know, just movies have changed. Like Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen a whole lot more and a whole lot that I like a lot more. And it's okay that this is just a little bit different for me now. Chris? That's a great point. No, I loved it. Um, and I think just side note, I really wanted to touch on what AJ just said. It's so hard for a film to be magical forever. It's right. almost impossible mm -hmm. because time changes, uh, culture changes, you know, the way we say things, the, our language changes, our social acceptance of things change. It's just, you know, for me, there's only, I, I do want to say, I think Jaws for me is one of those films. Um, the Thing for me is one of those films that- when, Well, and Chris just, knows about the passage of time too. He saw the Gilded Age. <laughs> he saw the birth of film and watched- I was there. I, yeah, when we graduated college, we went to go see Jaws in the theater. No, we fucking didn't. Um, <laughs> Guys, have you seen that great new movie, Lawrence of Arabia? Like, yeah, it's just, it's we still, catch it. Like, what it's was in it color. Like Can you imagine? Hope and being Crosby <laughs> perform live. Like, it was, it was wonderful. But- there are certain films that absolutely Raiders of the Last Ark for me, magic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, just things like that. And so when you talk about what this did for me, it's I look at it and you know the evolution of what it did for the landscape of film. I mean, we went we we talk about um, the monster verse, which Godzilla and King Kong, God knows what else, and it's like that wouldn't exist. Maybe it would, probably not, if it wasn't for the Avengers, um, the DCEU, which we have shit constantly on go back and that, check out into the Snyderverse, available yeah. in the archives of this very podcast <laughs> uh. that wouldn't exist because of this um yeah. i don't know eric you you just was the arrowverse pre-avengers or was it post it was pre. It's gotta be pre. it started pre so that's the yeah. closest thing and, and then but we haven't had anything on a scale like this it has kind of changed so much and I do want to highlight that it might not all might not be great. We don't need to look at things as a, who else can we lop in here? Someone yeah. made a wonderful point and I'd love to, to get your guys' thoughts on it. Maybe not on this podcast is that Christopher or uh, uh, Reeves, Matt Reeves about the new Batman. He said that he doesn't know if he should have Joker in his trilogy because do you need to have Joker in a Batman trilogy? And then the comments just lit up. And so while that's not exactly a perfect example because those kind of those they they do share the same universe and now you have to start peeling away the norms of that. Do you have right. to find something that's not so topical when finding an anti-hero for your hero because of what crossovers have kind of introduced. And you know, for me, I think that I I love to see them when they're done right, but I look back at this this 10 years of 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 what Marvel and Disney have put out and from what I've got post Endgame, I haven't really enjoyed most of it. And I've wanted to like the Disney plus series. There's very few that I enjoy. I didn't like the Eternals. I didn't like the new Thor. I didn't like, um, I didn't love uh, multiverse of madness. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just kind of feel like I wonder if there was lightning in a bottle and in, in this decade, it was great to be a fan of, of these characters and of these actors and of these stories. And now maybe you know, like everything, too much of something is not great. And I want to bring it back to the to, to what I said in the very beginning. Either you die the hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And maybe, possibly, we're entering a time when these films aren't regarded as highly as the ones before. And that all started with Avengers. So you cannot take away with what Avengers did. But 
looking 10 years now, is that, is that great? You know, we don't, at this point, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, the, the, the comment has been made that the superhero genre is, you know, has shown all the signs of another older uh, movie genre, the Western. Mm-hmm. Height of popularity every single year there was oh, Westerns yeah. coming out and then it had a very inevitable crash because people moved on from it. We don't know when or if that's ever going to happen for the MCU or just for superhero films in general. Um, I think as long as we do see evolution of this genre like Matt Reeves, the Batman being so different from, you know, what we're used to with MCU products and stuff like that. um, There's room for it, but I do definitely think that there will come a time when, either the fatigue has set in for general audiences, because I know there are a lot of people in my circle, a lot of people that I talk to who that has already been set in for them. They have either already been feeling it or are starting to feel it. And it's, it's fascinating to me where the, when you look at this film in isolation in 2012, when it came out, I remember walking out of that theater feeling, feeling like the sky's the limit. Like this, what is possible for this is, you know, there are so many ways that this could go. And as a kid who grew up getting beat up and bullied for liking superheroes, this was, you know, it was, it, it was, it was my citizen Kane at the time. Yeah. Like I was like, this is as good as it gets for nerds and their media. So I was over the moon about this and I didn't think, you know, it, it was this idea of like, we succeeded at this long term plan this long term as chris said earlier this four-year plan we're going to get here and it's going to explode and truly we saw that it did over time since that's happened 10 years on these films are still coming out probably too much at one time but like this story continues and in the same vein as comics the story does continue past this after we saw the avengers you know, Feige got up on stage and announced phase two and we saw phase three. We're currently in the middle of phase four. Like there are, we have no idea how many films are still yet to come, especially with recent acquisition and years of stories about the fantastic four, the X-Men, X-Men stuff yeah. like that. They yeah. just subtly introduced mutants into the MCU. So like, there is all kinds of stories that can be told, but for better or for worse, regardless of what you know, where you fall on the spectrum of whether you like superhero films now, whether you don't like superhero films now, I don't think it can be argued that the spark for what could be done with these films, with them taking over pop- popular culture, with them ruling the world as much as they do. I don't think a single person could argue that it didn't start right here in this film with what was possible in the stories that could be told on the big screen with this film. So at the end of the day, as both of you have said, it's not a perfect film. It's not what I would call something that is necessarily timeless. I do think that there are things that have aged. Absolutely. Um, But there are still bits there are moments that i do think still like get that twinkle in my eye that do still give you that feeling of like okay that moment was magic and i think for people in 2012 
on May 4th, they got to walk into that film and witness Marvel magic. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of July 20th, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, or comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was very tough because some very good comics came out. But the one that I kept coming back to when I was trying to decide was ultimately Worlds Without a Super Worlds Without a Justice League Superman number one. Written by Tom King with art by Chris Burnham with a backup featuring Aquaman, written by Brandon Thomas and Chuck Brown with art by Fico Osio. Uh, I loved this book. I loved this book to death. The Chris Burnham art I have always been you know, hit or miss on, but I really loved him in this, and I always love how Tom King writes Clark, and really the superfan as a whole, and this one absolutely knocked it out of the park. I do want to give a special mention to uh, Mortal X-Men number four uh, by Karen Gillan and uh, Michelle Bendini. Uh, also a great, great book. The X-Men books are super, super strong right now, and I'm very excited to see where we go. Uh, we also announced the uh, the new X-Men team, which I'm super into, really enjoy. I know there's a couple members that I'm like, mm, fine, I'm mostly into this team, but I'm excited to see what uh, Jerry Duggan has in store for this new team as we head into year two of his run on the X-Men. But that's last week's books. This week we've got uh, one two three four five six we got seven books for you to check out so let's go ahead and dive into them kicking things off with a brand new number one this is defenders beyond number one this is written by al ewing with art by javier rodriguez and lee garbett and i am actually very hyped for this i've never been a defenders guy um and just so you all know this is the this is uh space and magic defenders not street level defenders uh but i love al ewing so much i'm a big fan of rodriguez's art so i will definitely at least be picking up this first issue i'm very excited about this let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez follow up their acclaimed Defenders There Are No Rules series with a new volume and an all-new lineup, including none other than Loki, God of Stories. When Doctor Strange sends a dire warning from beyond the grave, Blue Marvel, America Chavez, Taya, Galactus's mom, Tigra, and Loki assemble to defend reality itself. Plus, you won't believe who shows up on the final page. So that sounds interesting. Again, I love both of these creators. I'm very excited to see where this goes. Next up, we have She-Hulk number five, a series that I have been absolutely loving so far. Uh, it's written by Rainbow Roll with art by Luca Maresca. And I mean, it's just so good. This book is so consistently good and I'm having such a great time with it. It's classic She-Hulk, but modernized. It's all the stuff that we've loved about previous She-Hulk runs, but give it a little bit more 2020's oomph and also setting up a really fun mystery. And you know how much I love my mysteries. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Jen Walters has been around since 1979, but this issue holds a first for her. The mysterious villains surely don't care and plan on destroying her and Jack of Hearts. 
that's very interesting. I don't know what this first could be, but we'll just have to see. Really, really loving this book. Next up, we have Nightwing number 94. This is, of course, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. I have talked at length how much I love this Nightwing book, uh, so I won't bore you with the details, but to say it simply, I love this book. I love this book so much. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. There's a new commissioner in town, and it's none other than Maggie Sawyer. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, But one clean commissioner does not make a whole bad basket of Bloodhaven police officers good. And now Blockbuster is forced to lean more on Nightwing's sister, Mayor Zuko, to oversee the old commissioner's illegal dealings. Then, an attack on Haven reveals some shocking truths to Nightwing and Oracle that make it difficult to recover from. I'm very into this. I love this book. I think it's been doing some really stellar work. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, another hyped up book. It's Do a Power Bomb number two, written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. I love this book so much. The first issue was absolutely up my alley. If you're not familiar, if this is the first time you're joining us on this podcast, this is the first time you're hearing about Do a Power Bomb. It's a pro wrestling comic, so it is at the perfect intersection for things that I love. So I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Lona Steelrose is brought to another dimension and given an opportunity that could change everything. Will she join the Death Life Tournament? Tournaments! You know how much I love tournaments. I love this so much. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have another brand new number one. This is Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings number one, written by Jean Lun Yang, art by Marcus Toad. This is the exact same continuity, story, creative team as the previous Shang-Chi book. They just, once again, did a rebrand, which I am not a fan of, but I am still super into Shang-Chi. I love this creative team. I love the story they're telling, and they're adding things and to make it line up a little bit more with the MCU for corporate synergy. So I'll let it slide. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Absolute power. A bold new era starts here. Shang-Chi has gained possession of the powerful Ten Rings, but so much concentrated energy has not gone unnoticed. Now, every bounty hunter, assassin, and evil syndicate in the Marvel Universe is coming to take the rings from him. But will the responsibility and the truth of the rings be too much to bear for the Master of Kung Fu? Find out as the true origin of the Ten Rings starts here. I'm really excited about this for the single reason that the previous uh, Shang-Chi story was essentially Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe, and in this, it is Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe. So the first 12 issues were very much, at least the six issues, the first six issues, were very much about Shang-Chi running up against the heroes of the Marvel Universe and watching what unfolded from that. It looks like this is going to be him against the villains, so I cannot wait to see this. It's going to be great. Next up, we have Batman Superman World's Finest number five, written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. What more is there to say? I love this book so freaking much. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, it's been so good so far, and I can't wait to pick this new issue up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Devil Neja, chapter five, Sacrifice Play. The first arc of World's Finest concludes with a shocking foreshadowing of DCU events to come. 
The sinister machinations of the evil of the devil Neja have run ragged the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight ever since he made his first horrifying debut in Detective Comics number 1050. But what secrets does this villain hold for the future of the DCU? Clues abound for the next big DCU series and this climactic final chapter to the first arc of World's Finest. So I'm glad that they're making it very clear that this is not the end of the book. This is just the end of the first arc. I love this team. I hope this team stays on for further arcs. Cannot wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I think you should pick all of these books up. Um, I haven't done this in a while, but I don't think there's a single book on this list that you should miss. I love every single one of these books. I'm even really excited about that Defenders book, even though I've never read it. Um, I love Al Ewing's previous work on Defenders, and I'm very excited about it. But just alongside, as much as you should pick up the other books, you should also pick up Axe. A-X-E, Avengers X-Men Eternals, Judgment Day number one. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Valerio Shiti. I am so excited about this. This is going to be a this is going to be Marvel's big event for the rest of the year. And if you are wanting to keep track with Marvel's books, this is one that you do not want to miss. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. In the land of the righteous. The X-Men claim they're the planet's new gods. The Eternals know that position is already filled. The Avengers are about to realize exactly how many secrets their so-called friends have kept from them. Years of tension lead to a volcanic eruption as two worlds burn. Who has leaked the X-Men's secrets to their latest foes? Why is Tony Stark abducting an old friend? And who stands in judgment over the whole world? Judgment Day from Kieran Gillen and Valeria Shiti is the apocalyptic emotional event to define the summer. Yeah, sounds big, sounds bombastic, sounds like an event. So I'm very excited about this. This is going to be a hell of a ride. And that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got Defenders Beyond number 1, She-Hulk number 5, Nightwing number 94, Dua Powerbomb number 2, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings number 1, Batman Superman World's Finest number 5, and AXE Judgment Day number 1. There is not a single comic that you should miss out this week. This is going to be a very good week of comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can write whatever you would like i will be forced to read it as long as you give me those five stars the sky is the limit and you'll be able to join the likes of our red 13 including seafire nd joshua panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 doug from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks amazing spider fan a lock and az sass and jedi jesse 20 i want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews and i cannot wait to hear yours if you want to be part of the geek explained mailbag please send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the podcast and if you want to keep up to date with the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news you can find us on instagram and twitter at geeksplainedpod that's at geeksplainedpod and 
I just want to say a huge thank you to AJ and to Chris for coming back on the podcast. I love having them on. Um, there's just a great energy that they bring on, especially when we talk about film. We all have very different perspectives on things, so it's great to have them come on the show and talk about those perspectives. Uh, the Avengers film was an interesting watch, rewatching it, you know, for the first time in a while, probably since my big rewatch leading into Endgame. And I, I am fascinated by how much that film feels like a time in a bottle right? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. We've had a ton of fun talking about other films as well. If you enjoyed this episode, go check out our Into the Spy- or Into the Snyderverse series. Go check out our more recent uh, Spidey December series covering both the DCEU and Spider-Man films respectively. They're always amazing. And it is always a great time having them on the show. Finally, talking about guests on the show uh every single friday we do the geek explained book club where i alongside my fellow warriors three are going through every single issue of every single volume of jason aaron's thor this week is a big one this is part seven of the days of thunder where we're going to be covering the rise of the war thor the rage of the mangog and the death of the mighty thor so tune in this friday be there or be square not a circle and i will see you then but that's going to do it for this week's podcast um i am Looking forward to next week. Uh, Next week is going to be a big week for me personally. Um, I'm having a surgery done, a fairly major surgery going on next week. So I'm a little nervous about that, but it is supposed to help me have a better quality of life. So uh, if you would mind sending healing vibes my way next week it'll be next tuesday the day before next week's episode drops so uh, feel free to send that my way um i'm hoping that this podcast this procedure isn't going to put me out for too long but i am still committed to giving you a podcast even when i am put out by a surgery so next week to celebrate 900 issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, I'm going to be giving you the nine essential Spider-Man stories. And I can't picture it being controversial at all. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. 